This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Hello, my fellow Brapintonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is my Mandalorian of motorcycles, Mr. Shaheen Alvandi! About motorcycles, we will speak. <laughs> this is the way. I have spoken. Are you watching this show? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, my God. I have spoken. It's my favorite line. I have spoken. I have spoken. I'm going to say. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the Tezzy H2 is not that pretty. I have spoken. I have spoken. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't like the Mandalorian, like, the first. I didn't dislike it. But I was just kind of like, where's the beef? Come on. Give me something. Well, you know, you got to. Give me a little something. It took me a while. It was a slow boil. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Now, after the third episode. <laughs> We're not going to give anything away in case somebody else hasn't watched it yet, but I'm all about it. Mandalorian. It's like a what, like a space wild, wild west. It's definitely a space western. I like it. Definitely. And George Lucas kind of had western and samurai movie influences yeah. when he did the original Star Wars. John John Favreau thing. Yeah. Way better director than he is actor. Horrible actor. Oh, absolutely. Everything that he's in, he is horrible. Except PCA, PCU. I don't think I saw that one. Oh, dude, PCU? that's like one of the first times I ever saw him anywhere. He played this like kind of drugged out pothead. Uh, he didn't have to act. That was the best part. Mm. He he kills me in um oh baby what is it uh God why is that very bad things he's fucking horrible in that's just two hours of people arguing with each other <laughs> um. God, what's the movie? I can't think of it. Swingers. Oh. Swingers. Just fucking worst character. I just want to beat him with a stick. But he knows how to tell a story, and that's what I appreciate. That's what I'm saying. Way better director, way better writer than he is actor. Like, he's like a mediocre actor at best. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mandalorian. Mandalorian. He's doing a good job. Doing a great job. I'm okay with it. Like, took him a little while. I like the artwork at the end of the show. Yeah, that's cool. I love watching that. That's cool. It keeps you on. Keeps you looking. Have you noticed my leg warmer today? Yeah, Coda Kitty, you're just straight up treacherous trader. trader. Hashtag trader. She came over and was like, I want to sit on your lap, Dad. And then took one look at Shaheen and was like, that lap looks cozy. The, so here's the thing. I am huggable. And she knows that about me. Yeah. Mm. I am so happy and also very terrified right now. Mm. Yeah, that's um, you're holding the lit match right I'm, now. <laughs> that's what you got. <laughs> like she's laying there comfortably, but I know there's claws and teeth involved. I did clip her nails, so you should be okay. Oh, thank God. Uh, Shaheen, this could be a really long show or it could be a really short show. Ooh, which way are we going to? Um, One never knows with us. There could be rabbit holes. <laughs> I've shown you before. Like the note, the show notes that I've got is like two pages. Yeah, your note, your note section looks like a Stephen King novel, dude. Here, here's the thing. Check this out, right? So this is, this is, this is today's show. Crikey. Here's, here's the last show. <laughs> and those bullet points, 
Those bullet points aren't even for our show. The last show was an hour and that, 34 minutes long. Those are the same bullet points from the show before it. Oh, boy. All right. Well, you know, <clears throat> I'm comfortable. There's a cat on my lap. Yeah. I got some fizzy water here. Look at you not having sugar yet again. Dude, fucking crushing Chris Holers right now. Nice. I'm down five pounds. Where's he at? Well, he, he weighed himself three times and got three different weights, but he hasn't he hasn't moved at all. So I'm five pounds up right now. Oh, boy. Chris, come on, bud. Boop, 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 boop. 40 pound challenge um so we'll see i i still i still think some of the that weight loss is just like airplane <laughs> no goodness but Maybe that's the trick you just go for a flight and then come back and weigh yourself in again yeah i've lost another pound since our last weigh in though so we're on the path of victory went to the gym last night crushed nice. it nice nice um lifted all the weights Every single one of them. Yeah. Every single one of the weights. That's my workout. I don't. Just people are like, oh, down. I do. How many reps do you do? How many sessions? I was like, no, no, no. I just go down every single weight and lift them up, <laughs> and then I put them back down, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I see you by the weight rack, just like, all right, five, okay, five, cool. yeah, 20, did that. awesome, yeah. thirty, all right, yeah, fifty. All right, starting to struggle. A I look at all these idiots doing it wrong. I'm like, <laughs> what kind of gains are you getting doing yeah, that? Pick it up, go to a bench, sit down, and then lift it. Fuck that. Just stand there, lift it, and just, put it back down. Yeah. How how are you gonna? How are your muscles going to know how to lift? 50 pounds if you don't lift 50 pounds work smarter not harder the memoirs of jensen beeler and become a personal trainer and change this you this should. business <gasps> flip it on side. motorcycle personal trainer that exists i'm sure of it i was actually on the drive here i was thinking about you doing a, a like a small article about your weight loss challenge and what you're doing to achieve it i was gonna do something like that for the gone racing series yeah, yeah. um the the kicker is that you kind of have to do it and then write about it. So like I think that'll be something for next year because I'm already I'm trying to finish up this year's and I'm already planning like what we're going to talk about for next year. And I think that's going to be one of them is like starting out. Hopefully, hopefully right. I get to the start of the season, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds lighter and then be able to talk about like, OK, this is what I did. And this is the metrics I was looking at. And this is fuck when you're 37. This is how you lose weight. Like yeah, it's not the same is. when you're 22. And that's that's, uh, that's important horsepower right there. It is. That was that was actually one of the things we were talking about in like the little chat. And in fact, I was having dinner with our of our friends Hannah and Alex last night. And I raced against Alex, and he's he's eight. That's just he's like a hundred pounds. Coda Kitty's heavier than him. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like fifty percent of me taking them out to dinner was to fatten Alex up. <laughs> just like secret, like hey, let's go somewhere. They only serve carbs. <laughs> They only serve carbs. There. I invited them to my house. I'm going to make some homemade pasta. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah. Appreciate that. That guy's going to gain at least a pound. At least a pound. <laughs> but you just look at it. Which for him is a huge percentage. It's it's just it's just, it's just just physics, right? <laughs> you know, every, every, I forget, I did the math. I think it's every six pounds I get a horsepower back. Dude. I got a horsepower. I've already nice. lost a horsepower or gained a horsepower. Proud of you. You're going to do well. I'm not losing weight. I'm gaining horsepower. You're gaining horsepower. That's right. That's the way to think about it. Um, but the reason <laughs> to bring it full circle, the reason I said this could be a short show is the first thing I want to talk about might be the only thing you want to talk about. What's that? Pricing has come out for the Yamaha Tenere 700 and it is really they quite dropped good. a bomb. They literally dropped a bomb. I, uh, I saw that. I saw you put it up and I was like, well, and just like that, they just switched a lot of minds. Yeah. Slow clap. Slow clap. Yamaha. You sons of bitches. You did it. $99.99? a buck under two ten thousand. Dude, that is that's a game changer. Boom. That's, that's what four thousand less than the KTM. Uh, yeah, thereabouts. Fuck. Not not quite four, but and yeah. I thought the KTM was priced well. 
the KTMs, I think, for what you get, extremely priced for real. Yeah. Um, and that it helps too that I think the Africa Twin is getting more expensive for right. next year, um, partially because they're just putting a lot more features on it. And I like where Yamaha's at, where there's like, like you, you can get upset and this would be like, so it's like, it's like this bullshit LCD dash that looks like it's a fucking Casio it's watch. It's 99.99. But that's the thing. So then, like, you like you can forgive it. We're like, oh, you priced it under ten thousand. I will I will forgive not having a beautiful TFT dash if I don't have to pay more than $10,000 for it. And you know the the weight and the yeah the Africa Twin is 144. I mean again for what you're getting I think that's a very fair price. And it's I think Yama came along was like, "Hey y'all, that's neat." Yeah, it was like literally like I think a few years ago, Honda comes out and was like, "Hey, you want a you want an adventure bike that actually go off road?" Right. Here's your Africa Twin. Yeah. And now you almost like hold my beer, <laughs> hold my beer and watch this. And the thing of it is, for ten grand, you can buy one of these and go out and just beat the ever living shit out of it and not feel anything. Not be feel like it. that's cool. And it's kind Cards of already ugly, so I don't really care if it gets scratched up. Yeah. It actually looks better with scratches and mud on it. I think. Mm. So go ride the it's piss out of it. This this is a game changer now because. People are going to be able to start going and doing this adventure riding thing, and there's no more excuses of like, oh, it's too much money. No. Insurance is going to be cheap on it. It's a small small displacement motor. 689cc, I believe. Yeah. So tires are going to be cheap. I, I, I don't know what's going to be expensive on this bike. I think just the initial purchase is going to be the most expensive thing you do. You could literally buy two of these and still be cheaper than my Multistrada. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> my bike. Two of those are still about four grand less than my bike. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's amazing to me. I don't hate the way it looks either. I don't it, either. It's I'm, not like I don't sit there and like I'm not gonna like give them design awards for it, but I don't hate it. it it's, it's very it's, Dakar. Yeah. It's a utility vehicle. Yeah. It's truly utilitarian. It's gonna go out there and do a job. I don't. I'm. I'm I'm excited to see what it rides like. I've been watching a lot of European and Australian videos of people who are testing them and everybody seems to really be kind of loving on the bike i think i think they've got them themselves a hit here especially with the pricing i think so super strong super super strong i i sent uh when i saw the the pricing i finished the story i sent a text message to the to the yamaha pr guy in the u.s and i was just like nice job text message high five crushed it on high price. five crushed it on price why are you biting me said. we're friends apparently i'm delicious she was licking my shirt, and I went to pet her. She's like, don't fucking touch me. No, yeah. Licking, it's weird. <laughs> licking goes to biting really quick. Real quick. Yeah. I'm. She's just going to bite her tongue off. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, stranger danger. What's the weight on this? Oh, they still have a stupid wet weight. They do or don't? They don't. What's oh. the wet weight in um, Europe, though? I think this is a this is a huge move for Yamaha. I mean, it's still like you we're still six months plus away from from seeing it in the u.s which is just ridiculous and like unforgivable and crazy and all that jazz but when it finally gets here shaheen that's gonna sell it's gonna sell gonna real sell. well and i think they'll be able to to at least bridge that uh like end of season gap i think that it's gonna be with this pricing lurid enough that people are gonna be like oh yeah okay see on the season i'm still gonna buy it though oh totally um, I don't think dealers are going to be able to charge a premium for it because of it, but I don't know that's if that's, really, lose I don't the know if that's really a thing right now. The bike. What's that? It's going to lose the whole point of the damn bike. If yeah. Yamaha you know, priced it at $99.99, you're going to be like, well, $1,000 add-on because we're first ones to have it. Fuck off. 
No, and I don't think the the industries in this in the state are in, are in a shape that can do that right now. Um, wet weight in Europe is two hundred and four kilos. So what is that? Four forty. That's not bad. That's not bad. Wet weight. Shit. Yeah, four forty nine. So four fifty. Um, oh, that's not bad. And it'll be a little bit. And that's with 4.2 gallons of fuel in it. So that's pretty good. That's good range on that little take motor. 24 pounds. So 425 without gas in it. That's not bad. Uh, uh, I'm impressed. All right. Uh, color me impressed. Now Bravo. let's just wait for it to somehow someday make it here. Bravo to you, Yamaha. You win this round. Irony. Yama's going to take six more months to send it here, and then some stupid-ass like storm's going to hit the ship. Oh, my God. I mean, remember that happened with like Honda? <laughs> yeah. <the laughs> like, like, I just remember reading that like, oh. Scrambler. <laughs> Scrambler. The boat, the, like, the boat that flipped over or son something. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> um, sad news. Oh. The World Superbike counter came out. No, no Laguna Seca. There will be no U.S. round we for speculated World that next year. La- a couple of yeah. months ago. Yeah. Bummer. And no just, US at all anywhere. No, no, no coda, nothing. Nothing. Uh and and Laguna's going through some interesting things with its management. They just fired Scramp after sixty plus years. Wow. They've got a new guy coming in and it seems like there's some commitment to putting some money into the infrastructure for the paddock, which is what the, the track needs. But uh, my Bothans are telling me Barber Motorsports in twenty twenty one. Fascinating. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's a pretty nice, beautiful facility. facility. Track is a not a great track for superbikes. No, though it's a small bike. It's a good small bike track. Yeah, so I'll be kind of. And people <clears> always say <throat> like barber, barber, barber. Like they are. Everyone wants like barber to host MotoGP. And like, do you want them to get into second gear? <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, Unless Barber's expanding and we didn't know about it. No, I don't think so. I no. thought I thought I was reading that um, the ridge up in Washington. Mm-hmm. Was gonna ta- start talking about uh, hosting something. I, I don't. I don't remember what they were not gonna... talking. They're doing. They're hosting Moto America next year. Moto America, but that's it. No. That's it. Mm. Yeah, which will be good. I mean, I'm, I'm be. I'm being very curious to see how they do that because there's zero spectating points at the ridge. They're gonna right. have to build some grandstands and some roads to get to them and yeah. some stuff. <clears throat> it's even mention... less so than PIR, and PIR's got nothing. PIR is not that bad because you can watch from the chicane, you can watch from the front straight, and then you've got the the I guess technically it's a levee. But there's like a there's like a hill trail that goes around the perimeter of the track. So you can oh, watch yeah, all yeah. through the back straight. Um you're gonna have to get like, you know, camping a chairs slaw and stuff. of sorts. Yeah. But you can at least spectate there, whereas like the ridge, like the bulk of the track is like a hundred feet above the paddock. It's kind of like set back into the woods, mm. and it's I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna fix that problem. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to spend some money. Is what they're gonna do? What? what? You got to spend money to get money, or so I hear. Something like that. Something like that. Speaking of econ. spending money and not getting money, Jorge Lorenzo is retiring. I know. That was a big thing when I was in. We'll, we'll get to a, my my stop in Valencia. That was a big talk of the town while we were there. A lot of rumors, and then then obviously it came true on the Thursday. Right. Um, I think it caught some people by surprise though, because th- there'd been a lot of discussion about it in the paddock. There'd been a lot of news articles and speculation, pretty much for the latter half of the year. Yeah. But um, 
when I heard it, like I was still like kind of like in disbelief, like wow, that that really is happening, huh? Like it seemed sudden. It did, and I think I think his back injury is worse than we than we know, and I think too it like kind of got in his head. Lorenzo's always been a rider that I thought was mentally very fragile. Hmm. Um, we saw that after Assen when when he broke his collarbone and came back and then you know crashed again, and like. He was never the same in the rain after that. You know, he was never he was never 100% fit. Yeah, when when the conditions started getting a little bit more mixed, like he just plummeted down the ranks. And he always seemed to be like then we get to Ducati and you see like how much he struggled on the bike and then they bring like a new fuel tank shape and all of a sudden he's like at the front. Right. And I've been on bikes where you make ergonomic changes like like dropping the pegs just half an inch. And, like, I could go from, like, man, I can barely get five laps on this bike done to, like, I can ride this bike all day. Like, ergonomics are real. But, like, you still sit there and, like, you went from literally last to first. And they just changed the shape of the fuel tank? Yeah. You would imagine at that level of uh, athleticism, he would be more, I don't know. I I think you're right, though. I think once he hurt himself, it just kind of got to him. And also, maybe he's recognizing that there's a lot of new blood coming in and it's sort of time to cleared a path a bit yeah i look I think, at that and then i think of like rossi at the same time like you're still out there i don't know what you're doing but you're still out there well yamaha's in an interesting position like they can't fire rossi he brings in way too much money right like he's he's just a sponsorship king but he is literally fucking up their program by yeah. having a seat They're like they really any other rider and he would have been kicked to the satellite team or kicked out in the woods you know long long time ago because they need to bring in the Fabio Quartararo's of the world. They need to develop the Maverick Vinales of the world. They need to find that next person who's going to beat Mark Marquez and and cultivate talent. And he's just sucking a factory seat that could have been better used with someone else. And he's the problem is, is like he's just competitive enough that you can be like, yeah, one more year. <laughs> I guess you could. I mean, like you're a top five rider still. Yeah. Where's he in the championship? How did he finish the championship? I don't know off the top of my head. But you know, you could. It wasn't unreasonable for him to be in the top five. And every now and then he squeaked a podium. And you're like, well, can't say he doesn't deserve a factory ride. Still nipping at people. Because he's still, yeah, because he's still kind of, he's still in it. Like, he's not going to win the championship by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know. He finished the season top seven. Pretty close to six. He's only two points back, Daniel Petrucci. Is he the oldest guy on the track by a long margin? He's 40 now. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing. That's like worth a conversation because there was this idea like kind of you hit your 30s in GP and you're out. And the funny part about that is it's really a, a, I was going to say a two-stroke mentality, but what it really is is a pre-airbag mentality. Ah, yeah. Pre, uh, I wouldn't say pre-traction control, but I feel like um, the issue, well, it's twofold, right? Like the the two-strokes were notorious for for high siding and as electronics got better we almost never see high sides now it's very very rare um and that plus the extra protection of the airbag suits has made the longevity of a rider much longer like you don't get beat up as much you don't get um as many injuries and i think like truthfully i think if uh danny pedrosa had been a dinese sponsored rider rather than an alpine star sponsored rider i think he would have been a world champion Hmm. because i think 
in those early days because he was one of those writers that kind of came in right on the cusp of the airbag stuff and like just straight up the Dainese system especially in the early days was better than the Alpine Stars it had more uh, airbag volume it was like double the airbag volume mm. it had better sensors it didn't have uh, false positives uh, you can look at the statistics of riders getting injured with collarbone breaks and the airbags come along and like it drops it significantly but if you break it out by brand, I think like in the first few years, Dainese had like three collarbone breaks or one. It was one or three. Uh, I know one of them was Paul Spargaro and it was a little bizarre. But Alpine Star still had like 30 hmm. or 20 or 30. I can't remember the exact number. And it was just it was because of the differences in the system. And a lot of those were Danny Pedrosa. And you sit there and like, man, you know what? If Danny hadn't broken his collarbone so many damn times <laughs> right. and hadn't missed so many races, there's a couple seasons there where you start doing the points math. And it's like, you could have been world champion there. Yeah. If you hadn't been injured, if you hadn't been dealing with injury, if you hadn't been doing this, like you were right there on your own. And this could have made the difference. And I think that's really interesting. But to get back to Rossi, I think a Dainese rider, um, but also not known for crashing. He's not, he was not a crasher no, he's consistent. in those two stroke and four stroke uh, eras where the, where high sides were still pr- rather prevalent. And so he's been able to take care of himself. And now like the, the safety net's a little bit better. And we're seeing the, we're seeing the results of that. I think, I think Rossi is the new, the new 30. I think we're going to see this next generation of rider staying in the championship much longer. If their talent can stay there. What was, um, Lorenzo wearing when he broke his back. Alpine Stars. Oh. So do you think Alpine Stars come along now? Is it is it uh are their I statistics better than Dainese's? That I haven't seen statistics uh recently. The thing that's interesting for me uh is one, how quickly the technology ramped up. That's mm-hmm. why I'm very careful to say, like, this is this was something that was going on five years ago. And and that's really not applicable to what's going on now because mm-hmm. the technology has changed really rapidly. Um, and each year they're trying to outpace each other. And I, I think that's great. I think, you know, Alpine Stars was the first, I believe, to come along and start putting airbags in the hips and legs. And now we see Dainese following that. And eventually both those systems will come to the consumer side. And that's a huge deal. Are they still the only two brands that are really offering that in the in the professional circuit? The two major brands, yeah. Uh, out of the major uh, apparel manufacturers, they are the two. I think Revit has got a system that's coming out soon. We didn't see it at ICMA, so it's probably more of a 2021 thing. Mm. Um, what's really helped pushing it is we see it in Grand Prix racing, mandatory airbag suits. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it in uh, American Flat Track now, mandatory airbag suits. That's definitely uh, a spot I would like to see more of it. Yeah. Is it um is it something they're gonna start working on in like motocross or enduro? I think Moto America is already making uh airbag suits mandatory or is about to. Enduro isn't and it's interesting that the dirt side hasn't latched onto it. And I think that's because the typical dirt rider is wearing like a jersey and pants right. and then wearing pads underneath. Yeah. Um so they don't quite have the same thing, but it's interesting that that's not in the space. And maybe part of it is it's more difficult to figure out uh, when a rider is crashing, right. when, it's, when it's dirt bike riding, because they do they do jumps and they do scrubs and they do, you know, kind of um, maneuvers that 
on a street bike would be like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to launch the moon right now. (laughs) You're going to have a yard sale in a minute. Right. Whereas a dirt bike rider is like, no, I'm just clearing a double. Like no big deal. Yeah. Um, doing a tabletop. You know, yeah, how do you, how do you decide when the airbag should go off? Because every time they land, there's a jar to it's the a, body. There's yeah. A, it's a very different algorithm. Yeah. Um, and maybe the technical hurdle there is just really high. Maybe. I mean, I'm trying to think like just from like a sensory input point of view, gyroscopes and accelerometers and, and all that jazz and velocity and like, what, what would you look for? How would you determine in the dirt biking realm what's about to be a heavy impact crash and what's about to be just a normal jump. I'm, I'm dying to see any reader or listeners chiming in on this one. They I want to hear th- your ideas. They got to be thinking about it. They got to be. That's all a those. tough question. And it's interesting because Alpine Stars is in that space a whole lot more than Dainese. And Dainese, like, truthfully has has given up on the dirt side. You don't really like, see you, them. You talk to them about it. They're like, ah, market's yeah. saturated. It's a commodity. <laughs> we don't want to be in. And I'm like, the fucking road market's like that too. Like you covered out a niche with safety. <laughs> You've carved out a niche with Italian stuff. Like you could do the exact same thing in here if you want to. They just don't want to take Alpine stars on. Yeah. They're checking. I'm hoping Revit will get in on that because they've got a pretty big, at least on the adventure writing side, like a big touring yeah. adventure writing um audience I think, I think revit will be the next brand to come out with their own version but I, I also remember having a conversation with them like two three years ago and dude man was straight up like mm, airbags are a commodity i don't really see that being a technology <laughs> and you're like really uh you're a company dedicated to people's safety really? and airbags are a commodity and then sure enough like as they're getting closer to, to launching their own system now it's like oh yeah no this is a great thing I'm like uh-huh <laughs> all right you're, you're doing the marketing thing uh, um but there's a couple companies that are offering like their own versions. I haven't had any hands on with them, but I'm a little reluctant to be like that's parody. Yeah. You know, I think that's the hard part where it's like, like I'm, I'm one of those people that says I will only wear a jacket or suit that has right. an airbag in it now. And I can see a company like, Oh, we've got an airbag. And I'm like, well, okay, now let's slow down because I know. Yeah. I said, I'll have to wear an airbag, but like, what I really meant was a competent airbag. Yeah, something that works. And like, and I think it's it's not an easy nut to crack. And we and we've seen that between the evolutions of what Alpine Stars and Dainese have made and their little rivalry. Rivalry, we've seen that it's it's not easy. And right. you see that there is a a steep learning curve and stuff like that. And I don't think you can just reverse engineer that expertise. Um maybe 20 years from now that's not the case where everything just kind of works but i think we're still in that early days where like some of these kind of like third-party brands i'm like okay so you have an airbag but like do i really trust you with my body what you need to do is put this uh tube in your mouth right before you fall and blow real hard yeah seriously (laughs) um but you know there's movement in that space and that's great yeah um i still want to see the um um what was that movie with Sylvester Stallone and um, Rocky Wesley Snipes? Demolition Man. Demolition Man. I still want to see that technology come forward. You know when they wreck the crap out of the car and like the whole thing fills up with some kind of foam. It's like foam, yeah. yeah. Well, then we're also gonna have to have every have every meal at Taco Bell too, Shaheen. Uh, it's the best restaurant in the world, according to that movie. <laughs> I haven't had Taco Bell in so long. <laughs> uh, um, I was about to say I haven't. I'm trying to think. Well, it's gone in Europe. I was like, uh, maybe two months. Wow. No, I've, I've gone longer I, than that. I tried recently. Our stupid Taco Bell here in Portland is so poorly run. 
Because people, it's just, I it's don't know. so poorly won. Yeah. It, like the line was like out into the fucking wow. street. Oh. And I'm just sitting there going, like, like, there's a line and then there's no cars except for the one car that's at the window <laughs> getting their food. And I'm sitting there going, like, how long does it take to order food? Like, I don't know if that's a a critique on the Taco Bell people not being good at taking orders or a critique on the hand-wringing Portlandians that can't, like, figure out a menu that has, like, 10 numbers on it. Just fucking like, ask just, for a Dorito and have them put some shit on it and eat it, man. Just pick a number. You're going to get a taco. <laughs> it's, it's the same. There's a taco in every meal. It's the same ingredients wrapped differently. Yeah. I mean, like, your meal's going to suck it's no matter what. some form of meat product. You've already lowered yourself it's, to Taco you're Bell. You're going to shit it out the same no matter how you put it in your mouth. I'm going to go there today. Oh, man. I want some, too. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to? What's your go-to order? I literally, I just get there and I look at the menu and whichever item looks good to me, I put that in my face. Usually like a burrito supreme or something like that. They change the numbers. What? I just go, I get the three crunchy tacos. Oh. It used to be a number eight. Now it's a number one, but I have to go number one crunchy because like a number one's technically a soft taco. No, no. Taco Bell is the only place that I like my takis, tacos, takis. My tacos. tacos. Ooh, taki tacos. Takis? Taki tacos. Oh, that'd be delicious. Taki tacos? Have you never had a taki? I have no idea what that you're it's talking like a, about. It's like a tightly rolled up corn tortilla that's you know deep fried and it's got just spicy seasonings all over it. It's like a chalupa. It's just a tucky. It's delicious. You're making this up. I'm not. I'm gonna bring you some next time. All right. You can always bring me food. All the all the acidic you can shit you can handle. Food <laughs> it's not gonna help you with uh, beating Chris on your little. Uh, no, I'm counting the calories, man. That secretly, like secretly, seriously, that's the that's the key. I'm counting calories, making sure I don't eat too much fucking food, and just going to the gym every day. Nice. I'm burning like a thousand calories a day that's at your the secret? gym, and I'm uh, eating two thousand calories a day. Yeah, don't eat takis. You'll have two thousand calories within the first. Well, means, yeah, I mean, it just like, like well, I guess I'm done eating for the rest of the day. There's some there's some hungry nights, <laughs> but there isn't really like. I'm forcing myself to eat apples and dates when I have a sweet yeah, tooth. Yeah, you is get to that point time. where like you're hungry and you're out of calories. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm having a salad. Whatever. <laughs> like it's not that big of a deal. Like I go to New Seasons. I get like a kale, apple, walnut thing. A salad is delicious. Ever said I've ever heard you say. No. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, 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 I go to New Seasons. I go to New Seasons. Oh, and then I feel so good about myself because I'm saving the environment by paying five dollars more for an apple. <laughs> My peanut butter is oh ground right there in front of me. If you want to see like Portland smugness at its best, go to New, the new seasons. seasons. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you want to see parking at its best, go to uh, New Seasons by my house. Everything I hate about Portland, New Seasons encapsulates. But they also have the best produce. They got good food. <laughs> I, I don't like their produce. No? No. Not my one here. No. Uh, mine's pretty And their, their meat selection is horrible. Oh, mine's amazing. Again. Really? No. Yeah. I, I get my, fi- my best fish in town in my neighborhood, uh-huh. Safeway. Even our fish market, the fish isn't that good, and it's like twice as much. Yeah, one job. You're a fish market. Seriously. But they got a fish and chip window that's a disaster. <laughs> like, you just get the tiny, you get like little, they're like this big. They're like the size of your finger. Like a, like a, like a, like a fish stick. Like a fish stick, like, like fish and chips. Like, you go to England and get fish and chips. The fish is like the size of your face. Yeah, it's a fish. And you get like four of them. Yeah. And these places, they give you like three, and they're yay big, and it's like $20, and it takes them a it literally takes them 45 minutes to make your food. 
and it's a window. It's a fish and chip window. You so I'm out there fish freezing the my ass off. Batter, and then you throw in the fryer, and it gets in your mouth. They're horrible. God dang they're it. horrible. And then uh, the whole thing. I'm just upset about it. You know what really grinds my gears? This, this show went from talking about motorcycles to complaining about Portland real quick. <sighs> Get your shit together, Portland fish market. Yeah. Damn it. And I really want to give them the business because they're really nice, but it just... I haven't eaten there in years just because of that. <laughs> literally. Maybe they've just, changed the way it is. Have you gone recently? If it's I, been years? I, I literally did go uh, a few months ago because I was like, it's literally been a year since I've gone. I want to see if they've gotten better. Right. It got an, worse. Your the, annual tryouts. The fish got smaller. <laughs> the price went up a dollar. And I'm just sitting there going like, and it still took them 30 minutes to make the damn thing. And like, you're sitting there at the window, like waving at them like, hey, I want to make an order. And they're like, one second, I'm just going to. I'm just going to go in the other room and then come back and then go in the other room and then wash my hands and then go in the other room. And then I'm pretty sure like you're just taking poops. God damn I don't it. know. Maybe you should go there with a good fish and chip setup and just show it to them. Be like, look, set look it at up it. next door. Look at it like a cart. That's not that's aggressive. That's, that's too aggressive, aggressive for Portland. That's what I like about my favorite burger joint. They open their burger cart next to a burger joint. Well, I think that's why they're getting their shit broken into. <laughs> That's probably the burger joint. <laughs> I would. When I saw that happen the second time, Sheen, I was like, oh, yeah. No, that's 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 the other burger place. <laughs> it's still that's the best a, burger That's in some town. mob shit right there. <laughs> um, we got to get back on track. Tell me what you've been doing because I am jealous. Don't be jealous. Next time, just join. I didn't get the memo. So we, you and I had a discussion. Actually, we've had several discussions about how dealerships can do a better job at, um, you know, getting their customers involved and, and just making it a more fun experience. And so we'll give props, we'll give their name. Uh, Motocorsa, the local Ducati dealership, put together a little quote-unquote off-season adventure riding uh, day. It's like an off-road track day. It, it is. So the Washougal Nationals uh, Motocross Park is a 45-minute ride from the center of Portland, um, which is so cool that, that that awesome world-class style dirt bike track is right there it's it's in our backyard basically so motocorsa set up a day for free for adventure motorcyclists to come out there and actually learn how to ride their bikes and it wasn't super controlled but i don't think a single person walked out of that not having had a great time you got to ride on dirt you got to ride on mud you got to ride on the utv track which was pretty well packed down and it was just a chaotic hilarious time um Jared, the lead sales guy, set up a nice little like figure eight spot and was teaching people how to, you know, use their heads to learn how to do tight maneuvers on their big 600 pound bikes. So a lot of Multistratas showed up, handful of scramblers. We had some KTM and BMW riders that showed up as well. Um, uh, I think we had a couple of like V-Stroms and KLRs and stuff like that. So really, really great setup. Um, it was a gloomy, cloudy, cold day, but everybody had a grin on their face. And that's what adventure writing is all about. Go out there and get dirty. Use these things that you've paid a lot of money for. And to have a community like that where everybody was working together and we kind of had like a buddy system that we set up in case you dropped your bike because you were going to drop your bike. It was muddy and slick. Uh, somebody was there to help you pick it back up. Nobody got hurt. I think maybe some people got their bikes muddier than it's ever been and they were just giddy about it because they finally got to use their bike for what it was for in a fairly controlled environment with people that were clearly knew what they were doing kind of giving you pointers i think if this becomes a popular thing their plan is to try and do it as often as possible maybe two or three times throughout you know the quote-unquote off season 
uh, so that we kind of have a thing to look forward to. The whole idea is to, yeah, man, I know it's raining, but that's sort of half the fun of it. Let's put some knobbies in your tire and uh, on your bikes, I mean, and um, go out there and learn how to use it. So I took my Multistrada out there and ripped it through some crazy peanut butter style mud that was just like zero grip. Uh, it makes your knobbies feel like slicks, but unbelievable time. I hope you show up next time they do it. In fact, if anyone's listening and they're you're, you're local to the Portland area, keep your ears open and your eyes peeled on, on that dealership. My hope is that other dealerships see that and go, holy shit, that's the thing we should do and get their people you know, involved. If, if you're a Yamaha dealer and you're going to be selling a bunch of these 10 or 700s next year or whenever it comes out, these are things that you should be offering to your buyers because it shouldn't only be ad, you know, expert level buyers buying these things. We're trying to bring new riders into the scene. And so the best way to, for a new rider to feel secure about their purchase is saying, here, I'll hold your hand and I'll show you how to use this thing properly in a controlled, slow environment so that you can go out there and adventure on your own later. I don't know why I always like compare motorcycles to skis. Or to skiing, <clears throat> maybe it's because I I ski in the off season. Right, that's my that's my off season thing. <laughs> um, but it'd be like the same. Like if I just showed up and and you never skied before, I'm like here's your skis, here's your boots, here's your poles. There's luck. The, <laughs> I'm gonna take you to the top of that mountain. <laughs> good luck. Like you're not gonna have a good time. No. And I'm and then, and then also I'm not gonna ski down the hill with you. Like you're on your own. You're just like that's not a positive experience. And that's kind of like what we do with with some motorcyclists where it's like okay here's your bike it's got the knobby tires it's got the the cargo bags it's got the farkles it's got the skid plate here you go have fun okay not going to show you how to use it like right. you're on your own oh, you've done a lot of street riding okay cool like you'll you'll be all right <laughs> best of luck. yeah best of luck <laughs> oh you did the beginner course awesome that should be enough for you to take that, this yeah you're totally 150 good. horsepower thing on the streets and uh, don't die yeah and and it's like you expect to build a community of people and you're not really giving them like right. you feel like you gave them the tools but you you haven't given them the instruction on how to use the tools. And that's that's like what I see the power there. It's like, okay, yeah, you're going to buy this, this Multistrada Enduro. You're going to buy this Desert Sled. You're right. going to buy, you know, just a Scrambler or whatever it is. Um, and that's kind of got an off-road lifestyle thing to it. But if you don't come into it already with the skill set and the tool bag to, to use it, then you're not really going to have that much fun with it. And it's the same thing like like... I love that motocrosser does track days. We're like, oh, you're going to buy a Panigale V4. Well, cool. Come out to our track day. Yeah. You'll get to use it to its potential. And if you don't know how to do that, you can start in C group where we give a boat ton of instruction and we'll show you how to give you the basics and we'll kind of set you up. And not to mention, you're going to meet a lot of other people like you yeah. that are on the same process and same journey as you. And then you're going to come up through the ranks. You're going to be a B group rider and then you're going to be an A group rider. And then maybe you go and start racing Omra or Wormra uh, and you're on your, you're on your way to being a stoked, you know, track bike dude yeah. or track bike girl. And <clears throat> it's, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great life. I think shops like motocourse that sort of understand that the value of that controlled experience, um, see it as a long-term investment and that the buyers are now going to be looking at them as the experts. They're going to believe you when you say this is the helmet you should buy. They're going to believe you when you suggest specific jackets because you've been leading them down a path that's been working. Well, and your engagement with the dealership just becomes so much more. Because like that's the other part of it. It's like, hey, I think a lot for mm, back this up for a second. I think a lot of dealers see the role as like, I sold you this bike and now I'm never gonna see you again. Right. And it's like I, I've done my job. I sold you the bike. Yeah. Da -da -da -da. Get out of here. They pat you in the ass. Get yeah. out of here. I get my money, I get my kickback from the OEM, high fives all around. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's great. And you wonder why you're you're going out of business. 
because like the the value is one one we know in sales that it is i mean it kind of varies from industry but the the cost of acquisition for a customer greatly exceeds the cost of keeping that customer very much so when you have sold someone a motorcycle you've already done the hardest part you've already acquired a new customer now you got like the easy part like now you just got to put minimal inputs in to keep that customer along keep them coming back Coming into the shop, buying a jacket, buying a helmet, buying some sparkles, doing a track day, coming in, buying a second bike, upgrading a bike, ch- um, trading in a bike. Right. Now, like you've got them for like the whole like life cycle of their of their time in motorcycling. And by the way, by those actions, you're probably going to keep them in motorcycling longer. They're probably going to refer more people to. It's like skin in a sheet, man. Do you want to like eat a pork chop tonight, or do you want to, uh, you know, pork chops a pig? I like that you said sheep and then pork chop. I like where your head's at. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you want do you want your your lamb chop tonight? Or do you want to like keep shearing the sheep and getting like wool every every winter? Right. Um and and it's interesting to me too, like on another track that like this has always been, I feel, the 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 deficit of like Ducati North America and Ducati as a whole, really, in terms of selling the Enduro. Because I think the Enduro is a great adventure bike. That has just been marketed so poorly and there's no support to it. And now they're just now starting to get like, oh, the DRE Enduro is finally being brought to the US. I don't see a lot of advertisement for it. And I look at the program and it seems. Well, and also a lot of times the DRE stuff is is fairly spendy. It's very spendy. And having been to the DRE Enduro one in Italy, I would say it's like. It's like a really expensive kindergarten. Right. You're like, like, yeah, you're going to learn some fundamentals. You're going to learn some things. It was a fun day. I had a good time. But I didn't walk out of there as a street-biased rider feeling tremendously more confident in my offer. And I'm like, okay, I got a couple things I can try on the trail next time. Right. Like, like it turned out like I was already doing 90% of this anyways because I know how to ride a motorcycle. But you didn't really blow my mind on the instruction. And I spent like two thousand three thousand dollars or whatever I'm like rah, yeah rah. i think i think what i would like to see um even motocorsa do because this this was kind of a trial one and it was free i wouldn't mind paying a couple hundred bucks like a track day if there was real instruction with real know, instruction real instruction with real instructors there and there's several people around the west coast area that are already running pretty successful mm-hmm. adventure riding you know mm-hmm. instructional classes Raw so hide immediately comes to mind yeah so i would love to see dealership like motocourse or any other dealership partner up with them and say hey we're going to run this class for five or six hours on a sunday and we'd like for you to be there to teach people basics on you know tight turns uh emergency stops a- anything that you're going to come across when you're out there riding with you by on your own on a backcountry discovery route or something like that yeah um I think it'd be worth it because a DRE experience is in the thousands of dollars. Whereas what I'm talking about, two, three hundred bucks worth every dime. Because people what, pay that anyways to and, go to track days. And what you just described is the same level of the same level of instruction, if not more, than what you're gonna get at DRE. Yeah. It's just without the fancy location yeah, I don't need and the glamping. Aspen and <laughs> right. you know, and fancy dinner. Yeah, people don't need to learn how to set up a tent. Those, those are pretty easy to do. When and it's funny because a lot of times when I talk to people about motorcycle camping they always ask me well what is it you take with you and the answer isn't the brand that i'm taking i just say take the lightest simplest items you can with you that's that's all it that matters you can go spend 50 bucks on that tent or 500 dollars in that tent that's up to you but get the lightest smallest ones you can get yeah. 
the Eagle Scout in me always chuckles when I when I hear like, like this is the gear you need for moto camping. Like it's just camping. <laughs> it whether you're taking a donkey, a bicycle, a motorcycle, or a backpack on, right. on your two feet. Like it's the same kind. Like as light as you can get it, yep. as small as you can get it. How much shit do you want to carry? How how basic do you want to get it? Because like you can go through the desert with toothpaste and galoshes, or you can get the whole like I'm gonna set up civilization wherever <laughs> I <laughs> right. go. And I was like, well, how much car- how much stuff do you want to carry with you? Like some people, I've never hiked with a GPS. Some people wouldn't leave home without it. Yeah, I can, but I also know how to orient and and navigate with a compass and a mirror. I've seen you use a like a water stick. Use your kind of like lick your finger and stick it up in the that air idea. and feel for that the wind. That's a, that's an old sailor trick. The <laughs> finger in the air. That's an old sailor trick. But you know, like it just it just depends. Like um, I just went camping for the first time with a big uh, cast iron skillet, and I was like, meh. Uh, that's, that's cool for glamping cool. if you're like, taking a trailer yeah, super, with you. It's super glampy, but right. I was like. Like we would never do this in the Boy Scouts because this fucking thing weighs twenty pounds. <laughs> I've that being said, we have taken usually when we go out adventure riding, at least one person brings the cast iron skillet, and even if we look at it and go, "Dummy, that weighs a lot." When they put butter in that thing and throw some steak on there, like I'm glad you brought that with no, you. No, 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 no. Thanks for thanks for bringing that. I blame I'm, the uh, I blame the hipster movement because it's like this whole generation discovered camping for the first time, and they're <laughs> like, "Oh my god, this is oh, this is, we're gonna go camping, camp life. <laughs> this is my everyday carry, gonna, and this I'm is my this a, is my camp. I'm gonna buy a yurt to take around with me. Let me buy a Yeti cooler. <laughs> Costs like seven hundred dollars. Like why? But bro, it keeps things cooler for two hours longer. <laughs> I don't know. Keep it simple, stupid. That's but, really what it comes down to with that stuff. But at least with these writing classes, you get to learn the important thing, like how to pick up the 600-pound bike when it inevitably falls down when you've dabbed on that front brake on that downhill, muddy train. Right. Right? Those are important things. Or how to you know make a emergency stop or how to swing that ass end around if you're in a tight spot. So I, I think I would love to see the next version of the thing that I went to, which was already incredibly fun, is to have a real instructor there that, you know, can say, hey, who here paid to come here to get instruction? Cool. You eight, come with me. We're going to start doing some drills and just do drills for a couple hours and then go out there and ride it on the trail and practice it. And I think if Motocorsa does that next, it's going to be way, it was already successful. It's going to be even more successful and it's going to be way more um, helpful for the riders. And that's 100% a model that can travel to other places. Like Absolutely. There is motocross tracks and and dirt courses across this country yep um and they're all they're all eager for your business you know yeah they're all businesses they all need the money they're there for the you know to make a bit of money and teach you something really cool especially this time of year where it's like oh we're not necessarily doing motocross racing but you can sure as fuck you know still get on get out in the mud and go have some fun dude it was 38 degrees when i rode out there in like the cold wet weather but i had my handy hippo hands on what oh my god (laughs) those things are hideously amazing oh my gosh i love them a lot I looked at them last show and they are big. They're so big. So is my bike. They make my already big bike look even bigger. But I'm telling you, when it's 38 degrees and wet and you're wearing your summer gloves and your hands are sweating, you're like, nice. I can deal with this. Tell me you're going to take them off for the summer. Absolutely. If it goes over 55 degrees, my hands are like unbearably hot in there. Okay. It's got to be like when I got to the trail and we were riding, I took them off immediately because I was moving around so much. I was already sweating like a fat pig. Hmm. that i am hmm. Interesting. yeah Interesting. keep it simple i like seeing people taking their mirrors off and their windshields off 
like getting ready to go out there and battle. And it's like, all right. <laughs> take rings off. Take chains off. <laughs> What's up? Yep. So that was what I did. It was a lot of fun, and I'm excited to do it again. And next time, you will join us. Yes, I will. I have to find something to ride, but I can do it. Um, you can ride my bike. I thought about bringing the Supermoto out there, actually. But that probably would have been a bad idea. So they weren't allowing any, like, super dedicated Supermoto. Come on. With your slicks on it? Yeah. <laughs> you on. would have gone nowhere. It was Come amazing. on. Actually, one person brought their Hyper Motard uh, out there, and th- that thing, he left his street tires on there, and he was riding the piss out of it on the trail. It was amazing to watch. Yeah. He was he, doing really good. Round tires are like... All tires are adventure tires. It just depends tires, on your attitude. All tires are adventure tires, Shane. That is some... Was he running Dunlops? No. <laughs> uh, no, he was running um, He was running uh, Michelin, uh, I don't know, Pilot Power 5 or Pilot Road 5, whatever they're called. Get after it, my son. He was, man. He was kicking some ass. Boy, those hypers look pretty when they're muddy. It just looks It looks just like a troublemaker. They need to have something in that in that little range that's that's lighter than 500 pounds it's like a hyper that can do that and i think that's where that desert x concept that's what i was saying desert x with that motor in it that would be such a killer bike that would be my next motorcycle if they do that they'd screw it up somehow (laughs) um okay we got to talk about my european trip yeah three weeks of euro so much to talk so much gelato so much pasta do you want to just talk new bikes first yeah okay well, we covered a lot of what we saw in Eichma last show. Right. Um, so I went, uh, the main purpose of me going out there was to go to Eichma. The second main purpose was uh, the Panigale V2 launch at Ooh. RF. Ooh. Um, I didn't see you do anything about the Street Fighter. Was that just not on the docket? Uh, in no terms release, of what? No, no um, like photos and stuff like that yeah no writing and no nothing no no there's no we didn't ride the street fighter huh. uh, street fighter launches in february in spain i believe i should be at that one. Oh, i hope you i hope you are uh, if you're not i can go for you yeah like i'm gonna let you do that listen man i don't want you to do all the work i want you to take launch. a break i'm not giving that launch away that's mine <laughs> i'm gonna go have fun but yeah it's gonna be a street and track so that should be good nice um but, 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 panigale v2 is go, go exactly what it is it's a panigale v2 it's a panigale it's a yeah it's a ducati 959 panigale so with, is it does it just feel like the next step in the 959's no, life cycle no it does is it feel a brand new it is exactly what it is it is a 959 with new bodywork better electronics and zero five emissions and, and a single side swing arm that, that's exactly like like if that's exactly what it is it like oh is it different than a 959 not really not it's a a nine. the motor um is different because of the euro 5 homologation and they actually increased the power and the torque uh slightly okay uh, in the process uh primarily because of a different uh, air intake and uh injector setup um otherwise it's very very i mean like you're not going to notice any any the butt dyno is going to feel the same. Okay. Uh, the <clears throat> chassis is the, exactly the same, except for that single-sided swing arm instead of the double-sided. And then the electronics, there's an IMU now. 
So you get um, better electronics. Your, your traction controls can be able to slide. Right. Although there is no independent slide control. There's an independent wheelie control, though, and you have cornering ABS. So it doesn't have the same sort of slight control that the V4 model has? No, it does not. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't have a launch control either. I guess also it doesn't have 200 plus horses, so maybe it doesn't need it. And that's the thing. Like, didn't really light up the rear end that much at her F. Um, so, so it's easy to get poopy about the swipe because they, they, I think they added uh, like $1,500 to the price. Holy moly. You know, so you got a so pretty like significant... A 19, uh, Seventeen thousand dollar break, I guess. Uh, sixteen. I pulled this up so I would know, and then the window stopped working. Sixty nine ninety five. Uh, that's a Ducati like number. Sixteen five. Okay. All right. So it's up from fifteen thousand, and I can kind of like get a little angry about like the price increase, just because like Ducati. Like I had this whole argument with with Claudio. There'll be um. I think before this show comes out, there might be a motor podcast episode of my interview with Claudia okay. coming out. And we kind of get into it a little bit um, on the pricing increases. And and his argument would be that there's more features, so it should cost more. And my argument is that like if you look in the cell phone range or like you look at like most consumer electronic things, like the price stays the same and you get more features each right. year. And like he's trying to do both, like hey, I'm going to give you more features, but I'm going to charge you more. He's not giving you more features; he's just making the features more up to date. Right, exactly. And so that's where I'm sitting, like, I'm like, well, like, did it cost fifteen hundred dollars to put an IMU on it? Like, I know, like, it takes it costs money to work with Bosch and set up the algorithms right. for cornering ABS and all that stuff, and that there's a cost associated with that. But I do feel like Ducati just really likes to jack up prices on things each year. Does the bike feel physically very different than a V4? No. Was there one for you uh, to kind of compare? There it wasn't to? a V4 for there for us to compare, but I've been on the V4. It's it it's a little bit more cramped um, in the in the cockpit and the hands than the V4. Uh, I think the reach is like half an inch uh, shorter. Oh wow, okay, that's uh, kind of different because I, m- I remember that like the twelve nine nine versus nine five nine, there was not a massive physical difference between the two no and that's because both of those bikes are basically built the same way it's a v-twin engine with a uh twin spar like frame monocoque they call call it the monocoque chassis um whereas i think the v4 is called the forward frame design (laughs) okay so you got the buzzwords going on but they are different they are fundamentally different in how they they are built off the motor and how wide they are and how long they are so it's easier to make differences there whereas a super quadro motor with a monocoque chassis, it's, it's the same, right? Like those engines are relatively the same size. Right. The chassis is going to be relatively the same size. Like, just, There isn't going to be like a upscale model, like an S well, model or something like that. No one has said anything, but oh. you look at the pricing, 16.5, right. and then it's what? How much is a Panigale V4? It's like 20,000, 21,000 yeah. base model. Because uh, they did like the 20, 959 two, Corsa 20, edition. 2000 for the base model Panigale V4. Oh, wow. so they could still make a Corsa and make it a $20,000 bike. Easily, I think they could easily make a Corsa and have it be 19995 right. and get it right under that 20000 mark and put Olins and some forged, forged aluminums and better Brembos and yeah. all the things you would expect. Maybe electronics dimension. Um, it's funny that the small Ducati Superbike it is, is now bigger and more powerful than the like the 916 by a large margin oh yeah and it's uh 
They're at least now they're calling it their super mid because for a while they tried to be like, this is our middleweight bike. And you're like, it's almost a liter. <laughs> you guys will have to make a 600 and something CC to make that a mid at this yeah, point. Yeah, like I remember when it was 900, it was the 899. They're like, this is our middleweight. And you're like, that's a 900 CC bike. Yeah. <laughs> there ain't nothing middleweight about it, buddy. Um, but, and I think this is why they changed it from V4 to V2. Obviously, it's an, it's a marketing thing. It's easier to understand. Like if you never come into motorcycles, if you've never been in the Ducati brand, Oh, the Panigale V4. That's the V4 engine. The Panigale V2. That's the V2. Like, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. But I think also, like, when you get away from the numbers and you just call it a bike, right? Now you can position it a little bit better for what it is, and that's and that's like I think the real powerful message because you and I have talked about this before. I'm like, don't really enjoy riding a 200 horsepower motorcycle. Like, I get the enjoyment from I'm doing a difficult task well, right? And this is this is work. This is a skill set that I have cultivated over almost twenty years of motorcycle riding, like fifteen years of riding motorcycles on the track. And you know, here is here is my expertise on display or whatever. Like like, okay, but it's still hard. Like I fucking like I literally got to go to the gym and to be in shape enough to ride <laughs> to a two hundred horsepower bike. And then it's like every time you crack open the throttle, you're wrestling the bike as it's doing a wheelie. You get in the wheel. It's called the chassis is all out of shape. I got to pull the brakes as hard as I fucking can. <laughs> I got to make sure my traction control setup is just right. Otherwise, I'm not going to get enough drive out of the corner. And, I, and while I'm sliding the rear wheel, but I need to conserve the tire. And like, it's just fucking work. It's a lot of meth. It's a lot of, <laughs> it's just a lot of effort. Whereas the V2 is designed to just like, just go and ride. And that's why I say, like, I'm having more fun on lower horsepower, smaller displacement machines. And the V2 is an answer for that. Like, here's a bike for the track day enthusiast. Like, like I think I said in the story, when you outgrow the dick measuring contest that comes with, like, horsepower numbers and all that stuff, when you outgrow, like, chasing a spec sheet or, yeah. ch- or chasing a horsepower figure, this is the, the motorcycle you'll come to and say, okay, now I just want to go ride. Now I just want to enjoy it. Yeah, I might have that buddy that blasted past me on the straightaway with his V4, yeah. but I'm going to catch that fucker in I'll turn one or turn two <laughs> right. and and show him up with skill and be like, hey, man, yeah, my bike's got 50 less horsepower and I'm still faster than you. What's yeah. up? Like, I'm having more fun while you're out there wrestling that fucking 200 horsepower beast. Um, I think there needs to be more of a market for that. And we've seen it. The the Gixxer 750 was like the original bike for this. Um, then MV Augusta came out with the F3 800, which is like a perfect bike for this. And yeah. one of the bikes I would I put in my top of the list for just like a track day bike. And now you have this Panigale V4. It's like, or sorry, V2. And it fills that same niche where like I rode all day at Harath, which is not, it's not like a workout of a track, but like it's got, let's see, one, two, three. four maybe five pretty heavy braking zones like you're working out you're working your butt off a little little arm pump it's 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 a technical track it's a workout i'm like i could have done that all day long on that bike on the v4 i would have been done after two sessions (laughs) you know like i would have been like i would i would have after lunch i've been like all right we're doing this just giddy up just gotta like i'm almost done i'm almost through this (laughs) The V2 is like, oh, I could ride it all day, and I had tons of fun doing it. Did you guys ride it on the street at all or no? No. What's the point? Yeah, it's a super bike. Well, I, don't I mean, like, that's what I love. Well, how's the heat? I'm like, who cares? It's a super bike. Stop. It's still it's still a super quadro motor. <laughs> yeah. It's still super hot. Um, How's it but, from but, turn to turn? How's it on braking? How's it on launch? Yeah, I mean, it is more of an approachable bike. 
for the street just because it's just not as peaky and crazy powerful like the v4 is like like i don't know why you ride a v4 on the street i know people just do it i know off. it's a thing i mean yeah. like if you're gonna go out to the canyons like i totally get it but like oh i commute from point a to point b and i'm like well you're picking the wrong tool <laughs> you know like speed all day every day on that you're thing. like trying to butcher a pig with a paring knife like <laughs> you just picked the wrong tool for the job but like i know they're all knives but like you want a fucking cleaver get in there um anything you would change about the bike or no and change the price okay anything physically about the bike <laughs> um I, yeah i mean it it looks it looks exactly like the v4 it doesn't have wings though jensen doesn't That's have the, the wings um that really is the only way you can tell them apart i think well in that exhaust that little nub that sticks out a little nub which is for the europeans a very welcome change because yeah. they have that crazy shotgun thing the dual exhaust thing look horrible which i want to see on the street fighter but not yeah um I just i I like the bike a lot. Like I, I'm not gonna buy it just because I don't need one in my garage. But like I want to have a bike like that always in my garage. And I think uh, for what's available on the market, this is probably the best pick you can get. If someone's looking to buy the Panigale V2, what else are they looking at in that in that um, spectrum? Right, F three eight hundred. I think is is a bike you got to be looking at. Uh, from the Triumph, Augusta. the Triumph um, 765 Moto 2, I think, is in this range. That one's like 21 grand, I think. It's going to be a lot of money. I haven't seen pricing on that yet. We talked about this last show. I haven't seen pricing officially, but I do keep hearing $20,000 as the number. And like you just look at the, the spec sheet, and it's just not even close. It's 130 horsepower versus 153 um the price is obviously way off the weight's gonna be in the range but you have way less torque and quite frankly like i find the design on the triumph to be really boring it's like you took the daytona 675 right and you just recycled that design and put some body work that's like moto got moto 2 written all over it and like it looks like that's like that bike's been in the in the space for like 10 years like yeah, they haven't you, really like, changed it a whole really lot. really haven't changed this machine. They actually kind of softened the design. on. I, I remember when the first Daytona 675 came out, I was like, that's a cool-looking little bike. Very narrow, neat little underseat exhaust on it. Um, this actually kind of looks like, I don't know, it's it's not the next step, I don't think. I'm just very disappointed by it because it could have been a Moto2 bike with lights. Like right. that's, that's literally how you're pitching it, and it's just not. It's just the bike that you used to have with bodywork and okay so triumph's website triumphmotorcycles.com says the moto 2 prices from 17.5 uh, us oh really yeah okay well that's a little bit better but still overpriced it's a thousand dollars more than a ducati yeah and it's not the spec sheet isn't anywhere near it oh yeah that they must have just done that they must have just done because i hadn't seen it before uh, but see now i bet the special uh, model is going to be more money because I don't think the Moto 2, it, I, I keep feeling like there's going to be like no, another no, 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 like, up-spec version. You mm, think this is it? This is it, I think. Because they're not coming out with like multiple versions of it. Limited edition. Because they're all limited editions. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So at least it's not 20 Gs. That's good. Um, I still think that price is high. I think that price is like... 
I think that's just three thousand dollars too high. I think that's just the reality that we're living in now because they're putting all these electronics and everything on these motorcycles, and they're justifying in their heads, yeah, this is now, you know, like Dominicali said, I'm giving you more, so I should charge you more, as opposed to I'm giving you up to date and should you know no. price accordingly. No, because I think that's where they get it wrong, where it's like you're giving me more, so that's going to make me want to upgrade. Yeah, yeah. So that gives me a reason to stop using the thing that I have now, but I don't want to keep paying like. I want to pay $20,000 for a motorcycle. That's ridiculous. It's, I mean, in the leader bike segment, that's just the norm now. But on these middleweight bikes, it's... Well, you made an interesting argument because we talked about inflation. And like, so we're talking like the cost of my Street Fighter versus the cost of the Street Fighter now. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, the price of inflation, like, that's 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 a bulk of it. And I, I went back and actually did the math. Uh, my $15,000... Street Fighter in 2009 would cost just under $18,000 now. So, like, I sit there and I go, well, where's the extra $2,000 coming from? Right. And you can, and his answer would be, well, you're getting an IMU, you're getting, you know, um, Corning ABS, you're right. getting traction control, you're getting all these wheelie controls, all these things, you're getting a V4 engine. And I go, like, okay, but... thousand dollars more yeah like it's twenty thousand dollars now like my fifteen thousand dollar bike is now a twenty thousand dollar bike in reality my in reality it should only be an eighteen thousand dollar bike so the segment's getting more expensive yes very much so um and, and ducatis i mean historically every year their prices went up like close to 500 they bucks go up 500 bucks yeah so this is quite a leap but huh, we'll see i think that's just the reality i mean even japanese leader bikes are you know, getting to that $20,000 mark, if not surpassing it on some models. Yeah. Well, um, we see that with the the new Honda yeah. CBRR, double R, all the R's, Alphabet Super 2020 R. Honda CBR 1000 double R dash R Fireblade SP. That's a mouthful, man. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But even like an R6, an R6 is like, you know, what's that going for now? Almost 13 grand? Yeah. Um, and that was what was so cool about the uh, Kawasaki Ninja ZX6R. And they're like, hey, we're just going to like dumb this thing down a little bit and make it under $10,000. $10, because at the end of the day, like all these bikes, especially in the 600cc category, all these bikes are 10 years old plus. Yeah. yeah. What is the R6? The R6 is 12.2. So not quite 13, but 12.2. And it's. I at least say like at least they put traction control on it. At least they changed the bodywork. But this is literally a bike that's been here for ten years. Yeah, I remember like, like an 06. Like you've worn down the machinery yeah. that's making this. Like you probably had to buy new machines to rebuild it again. <laughs> hey Jensen, why don't we stop real quick for an ad break? This episode of the Brab Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6, the best helmet for any use made from MotoGP technology. Finally, there is a comfortable, versatile, and safe road helmet for any motorbike and any rider thanks to the same advanced materials and innovative technologies used to help world champions achieve the maximum at the racetrack and in the most extreme conditions. Everything you need is now combined with everything you've ever wanted, the AGV K6 helmet. All right, what's next? Um, well, let's keep on the trend of bikes that I rode. Uh, 
I went to Valencia. Oh, I love Valencia so much. Watched the GP. Um, and then on the Monday afterwards, got to ride the Moto E race bike. Ooh, and that just sounds cool. It, it, it does. Well, it's interesting, right? Like I got to watch the Moto E race on Sunday from the pit wall. Right. I do like the sound of those bikes going by. It sounds amazing. Um, especially if one of them just goes by because you can hear the wind it's displacing and you can hear the rolling resistance of the tires on the asphalt and like i I love that people like you and i are v-twin guys yeah you know we bought ducatis i bought it i bought an old ducati because it's got a dry clutch it's got that v-twin it's it's all about that noise i got a slip-on exhaust it makes it really loud (laughs) like i'm right there with you on the sound thing like i get it but i do not miss it one iota when i watch the moto e races or when i ride an electric bike because it's just it's just different it's not better it's not worse it's just different but it is fascinating the things that you can now hear yeah and that you can like perceive and that you were you didn't realize you were blind to it when you were on your loud petrol power bike and I, I equate it to the same thing. Like, well, the first time I rode a motorcycle, I went through the Central Valley of California, and I could smell the earth. Yeah. It had just rained. Yeah. They just rode a till. Like, you had that that irony, um, petrichor smell that if, you, if I had been in a car, I wouldn't have gotten. I wouldn't have smelled the pollen in the air. I wouldn't have smelled the earth in the ground. Right. And like it made me realize, like, oh, on a motorcycle, I'm, I'm suddenly aware of all these senses that were muted before. And it's the same thing now with an electric bike. Like, I'm suddenly like realizing, like, oh man, that blaring engine was covering up so many cool things that I didn't know were there. Yeah. And it was the same thing watching the Moto E race. And um, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I still think, like, I, I'm still with people there. Like, it, there needs to be a little bit more noise coming from the bikes just to have, like, a little bit more of sensation of the event, especially when you watch it on TV, the way Dorna does the packaging for Moto E on TV. Right. Because, like, there's no buildup. There's no engines, like, coming to life and we're starting to rev and, like, hitting the rev limiters and then they're off. It's just, it's just, like, quiet. And you have the announcer going, like, and they're off. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't hear anything. I'm like, I'm watching it, but I don't. Like, is my TV on mute? Did you guys, like, forget to plug in <laughs> what, the microphone? What happened here? <laughs> they need to get, like, an onboard audio from one of the bikes <laughs> can to do hear it. Like, it. On the, like, on the, a lot of modern cars now have, like, noise that's being piped in mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. You kind of need the same thing on the motorcycles. It's a, give me a little something. They just need to rethink the, like, the, just the way the TV packages, because it's just different enough that it, that it, what they're doing for the other three races doesn't carry over. Um, they just need to do onboard uh, microphones no. along with the camera so you can hear oh, a little bit yeah, more. You need to hear the engine, the, yeah, engine, the, engine the motor mic. whine, yeah. the gear, the gear reduction. Because it's a super cool sound. It is. Fucking TIE Fighter, man. Um, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. But right, So getting to ride that bike, especially at the track, um, was interesting. The downside was it was really too short. Um, like the bike or your riding time? No, the riding time. And it's like... I don't know what the plan was. They had a lot of journalists coming through. So I think part of it was trying to cram far too many people into a program. But also, like, Anergica is, like, one of those, like, classic Italian companies that you, like, they do things and you just kind of sit there and, like, I can't believe that was how you thought you should do it. Like, no other, (laughs) like, it's just a very Italian thing. Like, 
this is like the most disorganized thing ever. And it's always disorganized. And like, I just sit there and like, how is this the way you guys think should be, things should be done? Cause like no German would ever do this. And I don't think very many Americans would, and no Japanese would ever do this. So it's just like, like there's something cultural about being Italian and, and in a larger sense, Mediterranean about organizing things and doing things and processes. We're just like, why would you do it that Their way? Their attitude is just bring the people together. The rest yeah, of the world will work we'll, out. We'll figure it out when we get there. We'll figure <laughs> we'll it out when just, we get we'll there. Just get That's how I do dinner at my house. Classic example. Come over. Like we had to be at the track at like 9 a.m. or something. We get there and there's supposed to be like a tech briefing at 10. And we get there and they're like, oh, well, we already did the tech briefing. We did the tech briefing early. <laughs> and so we won't be doing it Thanks later. For the heads up. So like you don't have anything to do for the next four hours. So just, you know, feel free to do whatever. And you're like, <laughs> I got out of bed for this. Like I could have slept in, motherfucker. Um, it was like it's just bizarre, but that's that's just some inside baseball. Um, <laughs> but but the the takeaway is we had five flying laps, plus an out lap and an in lap. Okay. Um, and no no prep before that. It's not like we got to sight the lap on a gas bike beforehand. It's not like we went on the street bikes and did some laps and then got on the moto e bike. It is like literally I st- stood around for four hours doing nothing got a really quick briefing on what to do with the tires because we're running special gp moto michelin tires and then was sent on to this track that i haven't been to in two years and i've spent an, an entire like 30 laps going around because <laughs> the last time i was there was a panigale v4 launch oh man and like just doing the rough math you get about an hour when you go to a press launch usually you get about an hour on track you usually do four or five sessions they're 15 20 minutes uh, i remember the ducati one being really short and a lap time around uh, Valencia is about two minutes. Um, uh, I think on the V4, we're doing like 145 or something like that. Ooh. I don't know. But on the Moto e-bikes, we're doing, I think my lap time was like a 156. Um, so it's just about two minutes a lap. And I think the Moto E guys were doing like 146. So puts it all in perspective. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so it's just like... How many laps are those bikes good for, say, around Valencia? Well, we came back in with about 40% charge. Now, I don't know at what point in the charge of the battery you start getting performance issues. Right. Um, their whole thing is that they've made it so those bikes can do the Moto E race distance uh, the same performance as they started with as they ended with. Oh, wow. Um, that's their big thing. They don't want a bike to slow down in the last lap. They want to be able to, like, you can go full throttle every lap until you're done. Um, so I don't know how that factors into the, the state of charge on the battery. Um, but I'm sure if we could have done six laps, we would have done six instead of five. So maybe 40% is that magic number. But you started at 100%? Yeah. So what they did is they took the 18 or so, uh, moto e-bikes that they have in the grid. Right. And they just rotated them through. So like, um, uh, when we were on, I think we went four bikes at a time. The other 12, 14 bikes were in the paddock getting charged and they were just cycling them through. Right, right. Um, but the, the takeaway is like, it's just like by the time I'm like finally figuring out like Valencia again, it's lap five. Yeah. And then I'm like trying to like figure out like, like the bike, because like, the bike's pretty different. What was fortunate for me, I guess, was it was very similar to the street bike I raced. Uh, earlier this year with Omra, mm-hmm. they brought uh, Nergica brought up their ego with the Corsa Cliente um, K 
kit on it, which is the same brakes and same suspension as the Moto e-bike. And I would say the one lap performance of those two machines are very similar. Hmm. Um, very, very, very similar. The Moto e-bike is a bit lighter. It has a much larger battery pack. It's got about 50% more battery on board. But it's still lighter? They won't say specs. It's it's at least 160 horsepower. Wow. And it's at least 167 pound-feet of torque. Wow. And it's going to weigh, it weighs close to 500 pounds. How's it on diesel? Is it pretty strong engine braking or can you program that? You can program it. We didn't have enough time to play around with it. So they gave us like a pretty aggressive setting, but not the most aggressive. Um, for me, the, the acceleration wasn't a big issue. I did hear other people talking about like, man, it really freewheeled a lot and talking about having to carry the rear brake to help um, mimic engine braking. Oh, interesting. To help decel. The biggest thing for me was the notice in the chassis. Uh, when I raced the street bike uh, this year, the biggest issue we had was just front end feel and chassis. Like, like we kept jacking up the rear of that bike, and for every millimeter of ride height we added, I dropped a second on my lap time. And wow. we never really got the bike to feel right. Like, we never, we just didn't have enough time. What do you think that is? Setup? Do you think that's because of where the battery pack's sitting and the weight distribution? I think a little bit of that, yeah. Um, and I think, truthfully, I think it's just Energica's base setting is just that's just how it's set up and for for me like that is not the setup i want was the bike that you rode initially here was that the same bike that um shalina had ridden because i thought you were talking about it was sort of set up for a different weight rider yes yes and um i don't know how much of those differences are because of rider weight or just philosophy but like that was definitely the thing we noticed with when i did the bike here um I mean, it was definitely set up more for, it was really set up for Shlina, who weighs like 100 pounds less than me. <laughs> um, and, and you look at, you know, Nurgis Test Rider, and he weighs probably 50 pounds less than me. But I've never seen a motorcycle that far off the mark. And it was the same case with this Moto E bike. It wasn't as bad as the street bike, but it was noticed like, like all of us came in, we're like, man, the bike really understeers. And you're fighting the understeer, like hmm. to the point of, um, so I went through turn 12 seven times. And didn't a single time hit that apex correctly. Really? Because it's just the bike just doesn't turn. And that's a weird kind of hairpin turn. It's kind of going up the hill. Um, and it's just like, just struggle with it. Because you're just like, man, I'm just not getting this. It's not turning the way it should be. I wonder if that's sort of a byproduct of that rear wheel still pushing. When no, you're- I really think, it, I mean, it really feels through the chassis. It's not really, an, it's not an electric thing. It feels like a bike that, uh, doesn't have enough weight on the front end, doesn't turn quickly, it understeers. And I know from my time on the street bike, if I jack the rear up, I'm going to fix this problem. Yeah. And if the the street bike was like, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how off it was, like the street bike started at a 9 and we finished at a 4. Wow. And the Moto E bike started at like a 5 or 6. Oh wow! So I feel like we could have jacked that up and got it, gotten it there, but like we didn't have any time. We had five laps, yeah. you know. So it's it's a little disappointing in that regard because there needed to be a bit of chassis setup for for, for me, but it sounded like it needed a bit of chassis setup for everyone. Um, and they gave us kind of like a their neutral setting. Uh, they took all the bikes from all the riders and put them back to like a baseline setting. So their baseline was just off. Have you spoken to any of the pro riders about how they feel about the chassis setup? I or? haven't had a chance. I really want to talk to Bradley Smith because I know him fairly well. Um, but it would be interesting to compare notes on on 
on his riding with it. We were supposed to spend some time with Marco Melandri at this launch because he had ridden the bike, um, but that didn't materialize. So that's unfortunate. But um, the bike's impressive. Like chassis issues aside, and that's the thing where I sit there and I'm like, I know this is a problem that can be fixed because there's a problem we worked with that uh, here at PIR and and made big gains with. Like I dropped like five seconds at PIR, and this is a track I already know. Yeah. Um. So like you can get it to work out. And uh, um, the rest of the bike's really quite good. Like I, I like I, I said in my story, like if you can get this bike to cost forty thousand dollars, which I don't see any reason why you couldn't make that happen, hmm. just based on the how much the the street bike cost and how much the parts, like the suspension and the brakes cost, like that should be a forty thousand dollar motorcycle with that size battery pack. And maybe if you could get it just a little bit bigger. I would be curious to see where the performance drops off in the state of the charge. And that would be the determinant determining factor. But, you know, seven laps at Valencia, that's still almost 15 minutes of continuous riding. Mm-hmm. Typical track day sessions, 20 minutes. So you just need to get me around the course, like two more laps, basically. Yeah. And then I've done a whole track day session. And then you put it on a, it's, it's, it's built for a DC fast charger which you can do at most tracks if they have an RV hookup. Right. And that starts getting you like, like you said, I'm like, this could be a viable track day bike. And not only that, like this is a fun track day bike, you know, chassis issues aside, setup issues aside, like, you know, you figure that out pretty easily. You can dial that all in. That, that, that's just time. Like I, I literally just said, like, I just wish I had more time because I think we could do it. Um, but the torque is insane. Oh, the God, the braking is insane. The only time you really notice the, the weight is, um, when you're braking, because the accelerate that there's so much torque that when you're popping out of the turn, you don't notice that you're you're riding like almost a 600 pound bike. <laughs> um, you know, I think rider in machine is close to 800 pounds. Like you just don't notice that because there's so much torque. I mean, like you've got almost two, three times more torque than most motorcycles, uh, most track bikes. It's insane, just insane. We feel it on the brakes. The Brembo kit that they have is so good that like it's not too bad, but it's still Newtonian physics. It's still a mass, you know, at you know speed that you're trying to deaccelerate. Yeah, you have X it, amount of contact patch. It takes, yeah, it takes force <laughs> um, to do that, and that's interesting. Um, the tires are amazing. It's funny you say the contact patch. So you, we've Michelin, the the tires for those bikes are designed for basically ten laps. Wow. So, and I mean like like. After 10 laps, that tire is done. Oh, shit. The rear tire is built. It's constructed in a way that's very similar to like a world superbike tire or a superbike tire, like for a, for an R1 or something like that. Okay. Um, just because the weight of a production bike is a lot heavier than, say, a GP bike. Right. But the front is built more like a GP bike's in construction because the brake the, the braking force is still as, as high and you're pushing the front end just as much. And then the compound is this compound that's so fucking soft. Like, you know, like when you come back in after track day, you see like little tire balls on yeah. the side, oh, yeah. like in your chicken straps, little snot, little snotters. It's not like that. It's like huge sheets of rubber that have like rolled themselves <laughs> into cigars. You're watching the bike lose tread. <laughs> Literally, you like, I, I think you could like measure the tire afterward after 10 laps and see a noticeable difference in how much rubber has come Jeez. off it because it's just. It's like it's just shedding the rubber off the side changing of it. every time you go through a lap. Yeah, it's like like they're not shaped like balls, so I don't want to quite like use this metaphor, but it's like if 
the balls off of the tire normally are like marbles right these are like tennis balls these are stones. Like they're they're so <laughs> big so what's what's the purpose of such a soft compound? Is it to help slow down some things that's heavy? It's because the the use case is so narrow. Where it's just like, hey, this race is going to be ten laps. Yeah, we only need to build a tire to work ten laps. So let's just make the highest and, and like you want to make the highest performing tire you can. And because the lap count is so low, you can make this ridiculously soft tire that grips so extremely well and you don't really care about tire life because they're like fucking 10 laps you're like qualifying tires they're like qualifying tires and they stick super good the downside is like you you have to go out and manage heat like they're like don't push 100 percent because you'll high side yourself to the moon (laughs) but don't go slow either because you have to build heat in the tire to make them work so like you have to go out on your first lap at like 80 percent and then build up from there which is you know, easier said than done at a track that for some of our, the journalists there had never been to yeah. before. And I'm sitting there going like, well, I remember turn one being quite quick. And I remember turn two kind of being tight. And I kind of remember the chicane thing. I kind of remember like I straight line it here. And then there's like a back straight section. Like, like I kind of like knew my way around. And I'm really grateful for that because like I was like, fuck, it's just you have five laps. I not keep coming bike, back to like not the bike you want to try and learn a track on, not with those tires. And there is no traction control. <laughs> you have almost 170 pound feet of torque, 200 Zero newton meters, control. and no traction control. So, like, when you see those guys high side themselves to the moon, you like you understand why. <laughs> Especially if it's on a cold tire, you're like, yeah, yeah. You asked a mediocre or like a, a semi warm tire to do an amazing thing. Oh. And uh, it does it most of the time, and and that one time it didn't. And <laughs> it does it until it. it doesn't do it. But very cool, very cool experience. Like I, I sit there, I'm like, this is the future. Like I would 100, I would buy one of these bikes. Like you want to talk about, like I can't afford a V4. I'm not going to buy a V4 for a track bike, but I would buy um, uh, an Energica Moto E bike. <laughs> I mean, it's still like forty thousand dollars, a lot of money. Yeah. But um, it's what a V4R. It's a V4R. There you go. And that's the thing. Like, I think I would enjoy riding this more than a V4R. And understand, like, you and I talked about when I rode the V4R at Laguna, and I came back and said, worth every dollar. Yeah. That's, like, the exact quote, worth every right. fucking dollar. And it is, because it's an amazing machine, and it's super fun, and it actually is fairly manageable um, to an extent. I mean, <laughs> like, I'd still have to go to the gym every day. <laughs> It, it, it's incredible because it's just that's the kind of bike that just, demands a game it's just yeah it's a game all the time it's incredible but i think i would still rather have the electric bike especially if um like uh solid state technology comes around yes and so now you can like reduce the battery pack by maybe um half its size or maybe even a third of its and size maintain the power and have the same power and have like way less weight and like that starts making a lot of sense yeah but I started thinking about like, you know, we did that night track day at, at PIR. Mm-hmm. You could totally do that with electrics. No noise emissions. No one's going to say boo. No. Like you can be out there until 10 p.m., yeah. 11 p.m., like just until however long you can get away with it with the dew point and the temperature drop. Right. Um, and that opens up huge things. And you could have races, you could have road races in like downtown San Francisco. Well, the runoff might be an issue. But I feel like I feel like for those who don't quite understand what we're talking about with this with this noise difference when you're riding the bike, next time you ride your bike really hard or for long distances, don't put on your earplugs and look at how tired you'll get. Like the the 
the amount of of I just it's just it's just pure pain. I remember ten years ago when I for for whatever reason I started putting earplugs in. I was like, oh man, I have zero pain in my head. I can do this for like five more hours, and I can only imagine what it's like on a on a super fast bike when you're trying to pay attention to all kinds of things that are going around you on a track. If that sound wasn't there beating you up, you can. It's just it opens your eyes. It's I can only imagine what it's like to ride that bike around the track. Yeah, absolutely. Like you still get the helmet noise. You still get the the wind through your your helmet and stuff like that. And that's at a frequency that's not totally great for your ears. But like I still wear earplugs with the with the Moto E bike. But well, I don't I'm not miss the don't noise. Wear. I'm just saying the difference in yeah. that in that experience of the fatigue. I don't miss it. I don't miss like the blaring noise. Um, a, 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 an analogous situation for what you're describing. Spend ten hours in a plane. Yeah, the drone of an engine in a plane. Like that's always what I love. Like when you watch like a plane scene on a movie or TV and how quiet it is. And I'm like, that ain't that quiet. No, fucking <laughs> planes are loud, right. man. Like when I do a transatlantic flight, I'm on a plane for ten hours. Earplugs. Like. I, I, I like you said i am physically worn down by how long by by the the droning of the engine noise noise fatigue's a thing man because it's just you just sit there and just like man just keeps going and going and going like i do wear earplugs on planes i do put my earbuds in fact they got the new apple airpods with the noise canceling i'm gonna get a pair because noise canceling on a plane would be huge for me yeah because i don't have They're like worth it. you see like all these guys traveling with uh the bose noise canceling uh headphones because of that very reason they're worth it it's a thing um so yeah exciting exciting times ahead uh the modi e-bike because of the fire they're kind of going to be set back on their development so the 2020 bike will basically be the 2019 bike okay just continuing on i don't think they're going to change anything other maybe than some software uh stuff the 2021 bike is going to be a pretty big upgrade though and that'll be interesting to see um what they do in terms of if they're going to change the chassis or the motor or the battery pack or have you got any look of it any insight on what the update might be or are we just no, speculating no just speculating um i would expect a completely new machine that probably isn't based on the street bike though could be like because that's 2021 you could see a 2022 street bike model using the same whatever's right um that's my theory solid state by then maybe solid state maybe depends who you talk to talking to energica they're talking like solid state in five years oh okay you talk to people like bmw um solid states in three years but Guess depends you know, on the company and how much money not, they have to get it going quicker. Well, it's just it's one of those things where it's been it's been proven in a laboratory. Right. You know, someone made one of those and it works in like a very specific condition. Right. And then they just kind of extrapolate like how much time it's going to take. And solid state's been around for for a little bit of a while. The big thing seems to be like, okay, yeah, we can make a battery cell and we can use the solid state and it can do this thing that we say it does. The issue right now seems to just be like, how do we commercialize it? How do we make this? We, we can make one of them. How do we make a million of them? Right. And that might be the process of that might be difficult. And we're just kind of extrapolating out that in three years, we'll have that figured out. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it's still kind of anyone's guess. 
and it just depends on if you're conservative or aggressive with your predictions. I'm curious. But I'm curious. That will be happens. a game changer. Solid state will open up a lot of um, electric. Uh, it will open up a lot of segments to electric vehicles, especially in two wheels. Because right now, with the technology, like you can kind of make a dirt bike. We saw that with Alta. You can make a scooter. You can make like a 50cc thing. We saw that with Vespa. You can kind of make like a 250cc equivalent street bike, but mm, really. I mean, like, like we had this issue with Omra when I brought the the Energica up. Like, what class should it race in? And if we're really honest, it's it's like a middleweight at best. It's it's like right there with my Kramer actually. In fact, the lap times were roughly the same, pretty pretty equal. The difference being like it's speed down the straightaway is a lot faster and its corner speeds a lot slower um but that's about where it is like when you look at the specs like you know 160 horsepower it's just barely better than a 600 cc bike yeah it's basically it's panigale v2 really um but it weighs a lot power to weight ratio is a hell of a thing the how yeah so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing um but when you start making that battery pack less small, it's actually this this ties in really well because I had a I did an interview with Claudio Domenicali. We had a really interesting this is worth looking at the motor podcast for for this interview because he has a really interesting breakdown on his thoughts of electric motorcycles. And he and one of the analogies he used one of the analogies he uses is um uh how much of the fuel weight a vehicle carries so like um i don't know what it is on a cruise ship but i would imagine a cruise ship carries a ton of its fuel with it in terms of in terms of its overall weight (laughs) but like like on on a on a car right um you know i you drive a 3500 pound car right if it's got a 20 gallon tank you're going to carry 120 pounds of fuel that works out to be like 3% of the vehicle weight is fuel. Right. Okay. So that, that makes, that makes a ton of sense to make an electric vehicle because you, you, you don't carry that much fuel in terms of your overall vehicle weight. Look at a motorcycle, four gallon tank on a 400 pound bike. That's 25 pounds out of four gallons. That's math in my head. (laughs) 16th of it. That's that's six percent. That's double. Yep. Or it's even more. Uh so it's it's double. And then you look at something like an airplane where like a fuel is like 10, 20, 30 percent, or like if you want to take it to extreme, like a rocket. Right. A rocket's like ninety-five percent yeah. fuel. Yep. Um, just caring to think at the very tip. Just the yeah, tip. Just a little tip. Just like, you know, like a thousand pound, like they have like a three thousand pound payload for like a three thousand ton rocket uh it's insane balls um so you can see like that that starts becoming the challenge because you have to replace that fuel with a battery and it's going to cost it's going to weigh exponentially more but on a car like it already weighs a ton literally it weighs like two tons yeah so like adding 500 pounds of battery like really isn't changing the weight that much on a motorcycle though you're changing a lot on a plane you're changing a huge amount and that's the constraint that's the issue until you can get the physical size the weight and the power density, the power density and the energy density 
down to something that's that's similar to gasoline like you're just you're just not going to do it and he's like you know like we're just not there yet with motorcycles what do we think the weight difference is between an electric motor and an internal combustion motor though there is a bit of that there is a bit of that because the i would say an internal combustion engine is significantly heavier yeah. than an electric motor it's like i'm thinking even in the case of a car I've, I've i've seen both those motors and i mean just physical size wise they're so different yeah you have to add the 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 controller into right. it though which which i think gets it back like but I, I would still say like electric motor is half the weight right maybe more or sorry sorry maybe maybe it weighs even even less but yeah, you bring up a very valid point um but the battery's the issue. I mean, batteries are 100%. Like, you look at... I, I posted up a naked photo of that Moto e-bike. Like, right. you look at it. Like people making, battery. People making a joke. Like, oh, is that a, is that a mini fridge that's in there? <laughs> yeah. It's just this giant recta- rectangular thing. Yeah. So, it was interesting. It was interesting to have that conversation with Claudio. Um, let me look at my notes because there was a couple things he said that were very interesting. He did break your heart a little bit, Shaheen. The what? Multistrada 1200 will not be a 200 horsepower adventure bike. Damn it. Wow, wow. I have a feeling that Wait, bike's... do we know what the next iteration is going to be? Did he say anything? Any hints? No, he really didn't want to talk about it so. at all. Um, but he did make an interesting point that, like, you know, what multi-strata riders want more than power is longer service intervals, yep. better gas mileage, yep. and usable torque range. I think that bike's going to be, like, 180 horsepower. That's still a lot of bike. And still... And but it'll have like some crazy like thirty five thousand miles before you service the valves and that would be amazing because the the V four valve adjustment is m- a lot more intensive than the V two yeah it's a lot and so it's, it's much more money it's like fifteen hundred nineteen hundred dollars it's something crazy like that yeah. if your if your shop's charging about a hundred bucks an hour it's interesting because I was looking at the way Ducati kind of uh, quote unquote cheated the system on how how their valve adjustment intervals they basically like over adjusted them. So when you're on these on these newer bikes that have fifteen to eighteen thousand mile valve adjustment intervals on them, they sort of overcompensate on the initial adjustments. So it's like over adjusted, and then there's it's got a sweet spot, and then it becomes unadjusted again. And so the the period of it has become twice as long as it used to be back in the day when you had six or seventy five hundred mile valve adjustment intervals. Huh. Just talking to a couple of different mechanics about, it, they're like, yeah, they just cheated the system. They just essentially over adjust, and then it gives you a little bit more leeway. So I'm curious to they, see what they're doing. Yeah, I don't know if cheat is the right word because it still works. Oh, it works, yeah. Clearly but like works. you're not I guess the difference is like you didn't start at perfection. Right. You you go up to perfection. You start at like not so good and right. then it gets better and then it starts getting worse. And you can like, sort of feel it. Once you know that, you start riding the bike, you're like, oh yeah, there is that like I'm in a sweet spot. Bang. Just bing zing bada boom. Yeah. Um Yeah, we got I'm I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I'm okay with it too. I'm still curious to see what they're going to do with the sort of enduro line of the Multistratas. If they're going to go V4 with that as well, or is that going to remain a V2? Are they going to make it the Multistrata V4 versus the Multistrata V2 now? No, I don't think. I don't think that'll be. I don't think. It'd be, I don't think you're ever going to see the V4 in a off-road application. No, I'm okay with that. It doesn't make any sense. No, zero. Um, I don't know why people think that would happen like it just doesn't make no i can see it happening on the you know sort of like the gt where it ends up being like a multi-strata enduro versus a multi-strata gt or something like that or whatever they end up calling it but um i'm sure ducati will have some good name set up for it yeah he did uh claudio did mention 
although you wouldn't get into it, that we will see some smaller displacements coming in, like some middleweight to the U.S. Bike. to to the U.S. to Europe to everywhere. Their their strategy isn't really to make like small displacement bikes for India or China right. or Indonesia. Their whole thing is like we want Indonesian or Chinese riders to um, move up to the point where they can buy a Ducati. Ducati is always going to be like a premium, large displacement. Yeah, you don't see Mercedes machine. making $5,000 cars. Yeah, I don't think we'll see, say, anything from Ducati under 500 cc's. Okay. I don't think, at least while Dominicali is there. But I do think we will see a 500 cc twin. Probably a, a good performing version, too. I that do Scrambler get that. 400 they made was kind of a dud. It didn't really yeah, perform that horrible. well. There was nothing horrible. going on there. It weighed just as much as the other bike. Yeah. The only thing that was good about the 400 is, and this is my issue with the Scrambler when it came out, the throttle was so abrupt and yeah. so snatchy, and they're starting like, this is a bike for beginners. I'm like, no, this is a bike that a beginner is going to put through a wall. <laughs> and the 400 got <laughs> rid of that. One slip of the clutch, you're looping that thing. Yeah, the, the, at least the 400 is like, well, at least like you don't have that throttle where you could whiskey throttle yourself into trouble. It's just... But it's still like a 500-pound motorcycle. Right. Which didn't make any sense. Um, but I do like the idea. I think Aprilia with the 660 really woke some people up. Yeah. Because and I think Ducati's looking at that and we're like, yeah, we need to have something like that lineup. And I think we've got, I think when I look at it, you've got V4R at $40,000. You've got the V4S Special or whatever it is at $30,000. Right. The Corsa edition. Yeah. Whatever whatever bike they're rolling through that week. <laughs> you know, whatever limited. Some special Toybeless edition game. and the Bologna edition. I'm and waiting the for the Gold Wheel edition, edition. Ducati. Yeah. Um, Bring back the Gold Wheels. Uh, the Gold Wheels. And then you've got your V4S at like what is it, 28000 or something yeah. stupid like that? Oh, my God. It really is like 28000 It really it? is. It really... It was like twenty seven five. dollars when I actually initially... look it up just so I know I'm right. Twenty eight four. Get Woo! out of that here. Woo! What's the course of one? Th- Tw- 30? Like 30. That's not too bad compared to the It's other. not. At least it has a cooler paint scheme. Yeah. Um, And then you get that $18,000, maybe $20,000. I think, yeah, just under twenty thousand, I think, will be the Panigale V2S, and then sixteen five for your Panigale V2, and then I could see something coming in like twelve to fourteen thousand, like a five hundred cc. Maybe that's going to be the, the smaller Street Fighter. I don't think. I don't think we're going to see a smaller Street Fighter. Maybe. I think this. I think if we see a smaller Street Fighter, it's going to be based off the nine five nine motor, probably. I a lot of people are already commenting on how they want to see that come up next. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think they're going to make a special motor for that. Although it would make sense if you're going to come up with a new motor platform. Let's say they come up with like a 500 cc V twin, right? Let's just say they come up with a 500 cc triple, just to make it really different. Ooh, it it would have to be a full fairing bike, a naked bike, yep. a long Classic suspension style, bike. Right. Like, like you, you can't not do that at this point. So. That would be interesting. Did he say anything about the monster lineup carrying on? They're never going to get rid of the monster right, lineup. Good. That's good news. Uh, who who's saying that they're going to get rid of the monster lineup? I'm, I don't know. It's just Bring me their head. <laughs> no, the monster is like one of the best selling bikes in the, in the range. Like the the whole thing with the Street Fighter is that the monster bike, the monster gets to be, go back to being a roadster. They like, try to be like, oh, the monster R is a Street Fighter. Like no, no, no. no. The monster is a roadster. It's a laid back bike. Right. It's good for street riding. 
yeah, you can ride it in the canyons. You can ride it at speed. It it, it handles that well. Right. But it's not a bike you take to the track. It's oh. not a bike that's designed for performance. It's not a bike that um, needs to have the latest and greatest electronics. That's what the Street Fighter is. So, Oh, I mean, when the Monster R came out, Ducati did say it is the most powerful, you know, naked bike Ducati's ever made. And it was, it was at the time. It was stupid. Monster. And then the Street Fighter V4 came out and it was like, no, no. I don't, like, I don't like the Monsters. You don't, huh? Nope, never have. I've always loved them. No, nope. I've never owned one. I probably will at some point nope. in life, but I, th- I think I would buy an older monster though when I buy one. Yeah, you, uh, it'll be like that classic uh, bike that people have. Let's switch gears to Envy Augusta. We're running out of time, and I want to wrap this up a little bit. There's man, there's so much stuff we're gonna leave on the shelf here. I sat down with Timur. Sardarov, the new CEO of MV, okay. had an interesting conversation with him. I'll go through it really quick. New 350cc what twin coming, and that's going to be a Whoa. platform that's coming to the US. Yes. Whoa. Um, in Europe, they're looking for pricing between like six and seven thousand euros. That's a lot of dough for a 350. For a 350, it's a lot. Of dough. Okay, but what, it's an MV, I guess. But how much is a Cowie 400? Uh, I don't know. I'm in out of Europe. that small bike loop. I imagine it's like five thousand dollar range. I think it's a little less. I think it's like, oh uh, no, you're probably right. So it's uh, Kawasaki Ninja 400 costs forty nine ninety nine, while the ABS version costs between fifty two ninety nine and fifty four ninety nine, depending on color. That's dollars. Dollars, yeah. So thereabouts. So that's not too bad. If you had a premium, like an MV, I pay a little. I pay a thousand dollar premium for an MV. Over a space. Ninja 400? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking about, you know, let's say maxing it out at $6,500. Well, here, look at, let's look at it from another, from another perspective. What's the KTM 390, RC390 cost? Let's see here. Because that's more of a premium brand. Yep. It's still kind of in that 300 to 400 space. Um, but, but. Oh, so that one MSRP for the RC three ninety is fifty four ninety nine. Okay. Well, that was in two thousand fifteen. What's the current one? I don't know because KTM doesn't put their prices on their website for nothing. Fifty five hundred. Yeah. Yep. Fifty five forty nine. So that's that's still you know that's still a thousand less. That's 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 a Ninja four hundred ABS with the color you want color price. Yeah. I would I would buy this bike. I would buy the KTM over the Ninja. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know. If well, I, I mean, the, we're Ninja, just talking, the Ninja 400's got a lot of features. Oh, it's a great bike. I'm not saying it's not, but like for my snobby butt that wants to have something different and cooler, if I'm gonna like, if I had the option of buying a Japanese brand or a you know what I imagine to be a premium, even if it's not, but I imagine it because it's European premium brand for the exact same price. The Armenian in me is like, bro, buy a used BMW before you buy a brand new. Honda. You can take a cowie 400 on the track and have a good time and ktm 390 on the track will eventually blow up that's fair i rode that little motor in front of you yeah i thought it was gonna blow up yeah man was it fun eventually blow up <laughs> so so very interesting to see that they make a 350 cc twin and then he mentioned a 950 motor but wouldn't say how many cylinders what i would assume it's either three or four. Oh man i hope it's a three well, they're going to keep the 675 and the 800. Did he say what platform? New platform. 
but like street adventure. Street. Well, so that's the other thing. So he he talked about um, Envy Augusta going into the cruising and adventure segments as well. Whoa. I could see that 950 being like a triple because you got that Triumph 900 coming out like next week. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. In fact, things this podcast will probably drop right around the time that Tiger 900 comes out. Fascinating. Um, so that's very interesting to hear. Um, no superbike for now and like for the next five years, basically. Huh. Um, which is too bad because um I'm very certain that it would have been rad. I don't doubt that it would have been rad, but I'm I'm thinking of it from a business perspective, and I feel like they're probably making a better decision going into the cruiser slash adventure because they already still have a couple of super special, you know, veloces and stuff like that. So I think I think there's quietly no one's really talked about this, but basically Giovanni Castiglione has been pushed out of the company, and he huh. now he's a consultant. Okay. I don't know if he owns any portion of MV's stock. They just put him in a room and let him yell at himself. <laughs> but he's definitely been given the boot. And, you know, you know, he had his kind of game plan when he was still, you know, a part of the company. And now it seems that game plan has changed. So we're seeing things like MV's Superbike project getting put on the shelf. We're seeing the kind of Neo Cafe Racer that they were going to build being put on the shelf. Their racing plans are being put on the shelf. Well, they'll still be... Um, I shouldn't say the racing plans are being put on the shelf because they're still in Moto2 and they're still in World Super Sport. Um, but that's that's not really a part of MV. MV doesn't spend money on racing, right? Uh, which is interesting. And so we're seeing them kind of shift the focus a little bit from that game plan. And now the plan is to build like 20,000 units a year and wow. to you know have a small displacement bike, have some medium displacements, have a 950 that's like a large displacement. Um and get out of street well they're not going to get out of street but to add on like more segments than just say sports segments right um which has always been mv's kind of bread and butter so it's interesting to see all this kind of change and then you see them taking kajiva and that's going to be more of their mobility brand they're bringing the elephant back that's what i'm imagining well I think they are because I think Kajiva is going to be more like scooters and right. e-mobility, but I think they're going to have a lot more electrics. And I think we're going to see them also pushing into the dirt side with Kajiva. So I think you'll see a Kajiva dirt bike. Nice. Whether or not it's an electric or a gas bike, I don't know. But there's an opportunity there. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of thing. I think we're going to see the new Kajivas, uh, the first new Kajiva next year at ICMA. It'll wow. be a 2021 model. Okay. Um, I think that's going to be something similar to... I can't quite tell if it's going to be like an electric moped, like like kind of the cake, where it's like an electric dirt bike, but it's not It's not an enduro or motocross bike, but it's not a mountain bike. It's something in between. It's like a moped-ish hmm. type thing. I think Hopefully that's what... Hopefully not it, priced like the cake. I think it's when... Oh, my gosh. So expensive. Jesus. The, uh, the cock... Is I was just looking at this last night. Ten thousand dollars starting, eleven thousand for the road legal, and then they've got this new bike. Um, what's it called? Uh, that that like utilitarian scooter thing. Yeah, what's <laughs> it's that? So wild. Like, how do you describe this to a person? Like, if you were blind and you had to, or you had to describe this to a blind person. Oh, geez, hold on. Let it's me just, just insane. It's the OSA. It's the USA. I'm not pronouncing the the O correctly. 
Usa. <laughs> My Scandinavian heritage is failing me. It's like oh, this man. weird utilitarian. I like that they show like a guy like doing carpentry on it. Like this is gonna be like your workbench. <laughs> that's the that's the bike you take to your to your work site, man. Literally. Look, look at this, look at this like camping guy. He's like glamping it. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's so Euro, though, that I could see those being ridden all over Amsterdam. I don't know. Have, like, little baby seats on them. Instead of riding your bicycle, you just ride it's your cock. It's a very European. It's a very Scandinavian. Uh-huh. Like, like, these people, like, they're having, like, a fucking, like, business meeting they're on the back They're going to sell them at Ikea. You just some, some... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. It is a lot cheaper, though. It's, um... It's not $15,000? No, no, no. What's it start at? Osa, Osa Light. $4,500. All right. It's reasonable. That's like a high-end e-bike. It's a high-end e-bike. So I'm like, eh, looks fucking ugly. It's but it's so it's so. It's this is the cyber truck of the motorcycle industry. It is. Where he's like, it's, it's so utilit- utilitarian that like it has like its own appeal visually. <laughs> We're like, man, you guys really tried to make like a like you didn't even care about the way it looked. You didn't care so hard that now it's almost beautiful in a way. As my mom would say, that thing's so ugly, it's cute. Yeah. What do you think about that Cybertruck? I, I I love it. Really? Yeah, I really do. Oh, I, I'm, I I'm excited that are. someone made something so fucking different that everyone's talking about it. Uh, I don't know. It literally doesn't have a single like soft curve on it. The tires and the wheels are the only circular things on the uh, thing. I Everything think Elon is a sharp, is. angle, crazy RoboCop uh, looking thing. Elon Musk is overrated. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. He's that not the kind of guy like, I want to give my money to, but I like that truck. That truck looks so, so insane. So stupid. I've said it before in a lot of podcasts. I like polarizing designs. That thing has got lovers and haters. That's stupid. No one looks at it and goes, meh. <laughs> like, even if people are like, that's so cool, or, oh, fuck that thing. I think it's going to be... I mean, their stock went down 6% after that thing got shown. <laughs> that, that, 30, that tells it to me. But it's starting at $39,000 for one of those things. They're going to sell. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when, when's it supposed to get here? I don't know. Next year. No. 2021, no. I think no. you said. No. No, no. Yeah, people are still put, already putting deposits. I know. I know they're putting des, des, you got deposits down. That's the thing. It's $100. Um, schedule release late 2020. Okay. Yeah, next well, year. All right. I thought it was going to be like 2020. I'm, I'm more excited about that Rivian truck coming out. That looks like a cool looking. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I think looking. I think there's opportunities for other brands. Like like you and I were talking about Polestar last time. Yep. You know, like for a long time, I was like, oh, next car. Like I would like to get an electric car, and I like the auto driving features that Tesla has. I'm like, I could see a Tesla landing in my garage, right? If I needed a car. (gasps) Um, but then you see like, oh, now Volvo's catching up, and now you know, like, like now it's like not so much just Tesla. It's like, well, I got Polestar. I've got yeah. XYZ. Volkswagen's I got, got the new big uh, electric thing coming out. Yeah. I was just looking at the Audi uh, e-tron. e-tron. I hate the name. Yeah, it's dumb. But I saw one in Europe in the airport, in the Amsterdam airport, and I was like, damn, it's like a good looking car. It's a really good looking car. Like, it's only a matter of time before there's a really good looking electric pickup truck that doesn't look like this fucking abomination. <laughs> I, I like that. You should check out that Rivian. The Rivian truck is actually a good looking truck. I feel like I've seen this before. It comes in an SUV or a truck format. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't love it, but it's good looking. Yep. It's better looking than... Uh, I kind of dig the way that Mustang Mach-E looks. I don't know why they use the name Mustang, but whatever. Because 
Ford doesn't make anything. Uh, they don't make any cars other than a Mustang and a Focus. And they just kind of use the Mustang name on everything. The Mustang Mach E and the Mach T for a truck version. Yeah. Uh, They're just swindling whatever goodwill they still have. <laughs> that thing looks. Yeah, why would you call that the Mustang? Because the tail light looks like a Mustang's. I don't know. Fuck you, Ford. <laughs> How do you really feel, Jensen? Uh, I got pretty, truthfully, I got pretty pissed off at the American car brands when uh, we had to bail them out in 2008, yeah. 2009. Like, really? Because cause before that, it was like, you guys make shitty cars. Like, the only thing that's profitable is trucks and SUVs, and those things are fucking ruining the world, boomer. Yep. And um, you make you just make really bad products. And I think the UAW is a horrible organization that is contributing to the downfall of Ford, GM, and, and Chrysler. Um, but that still doesn't alleviate the bullshit that these brands have done. And it's just like, no, you, you deserve to die. You make a really bad product. Yeah. I'm an American and I do not want to own American cars because they're not good cars. And you guys refuse to, to change. And so go away. But then, and then the we Mustang had to like Mach-E now. give them trillions of dollars. And I will say <laughs> to Ford's credit, um, they didn't take any money. They took a credit line. So then I'm like, ah, ah. Some money? And you, pay, you paid the money back and you paid interest. Like, ah. GM, on the other hand, fuck you. <laughs> no Chevys for you. Never. No, you'll never see me buy a Chevy. Never. I'll never buy a Chrysler. Like you're a private company. You're owned by Italian people and you still get a bailout and you make really shitty cars. Like I would love to buy a Jeep Wrangler, but I'm just like, that thing's going to fall apart. Uh, it does fall apart. I don't know anyone who owns a Jeep Wrangler that hasn't just had it fall apart. Poorly built machines. Yeah. And like, and they still love them to death. It's crazy to me. It's like Ducati owners, like especially old school Ducati owners. They all fall apart, and we're all like, "Oh, I live for this thing." Well, we had a Jeep. I don't get it. I, had, I wish I understood the love that we yeah. have for things that fall apart. We had a Jeep Cherokee growing up. The thing was not great. Just it's, it's a Jeep just, thing. You wouldn't understand, Jensen. Yeah, it's a Jeep thing. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you sit there, like like Must, Mustang's not a good car. It's not a good mm. performance car. It is for, now for, for a long. Finally. It's better ish. It's finally it doesn't have that bullshit. It doesn't share it just chassis with the Taurus anymore. <laughs> um, you know, like yeah, especially the nineties, nineteen nineties, early two thousand American like Fords, especially, but like just shitty cars. Oh God, it's the car you leased, and then and we drove bailed them out. Back. And like they've gotten their shit together a little bit, but like come on. Come on. Doing something. I mean, they're selling a fuck ton of trucks every damn year. They sell a lot of trucks. Thanks, Boomer. Yeah. Um, but that's the problem. Is like Americans buy trucks and SUVs and then we commute in them. And you're like, what are, what are we oh, doing? Dude, the whole time. Every time I'm on the highway and I see some dude sitting in his fucking lifted F-350 diesel by himself in the four-door, like, neat. And then rolling coal on That's you. cool that you're driving that. It's. I mean, I, I get it. It's. I get the, understand, the, the desire to buy a vehicle and making it customized and making it your own, but... Fuck, dude, you're literally taking up like two and a half car spots by yourself in that thing. Yeah. I'm sure somebody's listening to this shaking their head at me going, shut the fuck up. But Well, someone should be going like, Jensen, don't you ride it? Don't you drive a lifted four on I'm like, yes, I do. Still smaller than that fucking truck. Still smaller. That's also a V6, but I get. Also, it's 200,000 miles old. Right. I've had it for freaking forever. But my next car won't be a lifted four on I know that much. What if they made an electric four on That's the thing. I would love to get an electric SUV. Or something kind of crossover-ish. I don't know. But I like being able to hold all the gear. I like being able to haul all the people. I like being able to pull my trailer. Yeah. But. We shall see. 
That's a wow. That was a tangent. Yeah. Um, Thanks for nothing, you so and sos. Yeah, I had some interesting interviews with uh, Adrian Morton from um, the design department, uh, Castiglione Research Center. Okay. Um, we had a that's a that's an interview that like I don't think there's anything in it like I can distill to you right now right here and be like oh this this is the takeaway because like we just really had like a really interesting conversation about innovation and like where the motorcycle industry is going like 20 years from now and, <laughs> and design and stuff like that. But hopefully that'll, that'll come out before the end of the year. It'll be worth listening to. It'll be totally worth listening to. Um, he's, we had a really good chat and, uh, he's probably listening to the show right now. Um, being really glad I didn't tell any of the secrets he told me. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, Brian Gillen and I talked about just like, like homologation and we talked a little bit about electrics and stuff. Um, but like really, it was really interesting to hear from him, like the costs associated with and the work associated with all these regulations, like Euro five and things like that. And like the challenges that OEMs face having to deal with things hmm. of that nature. They don't really, I'd say it's something like the typical motorcycle consumer doesn't think about because it's just like, why, why would you? Like, yeah, like, your job as a consumer who, is not to worry about that who, shit. You just who, want to get the thing you want. Yeah, no one really cares whether or not they have a Euro 4 or <laughs> Euro 5 homologated bike. It's like, is my bike legal for the street? All right, cool. That's just politics. I don't get involved in politics. Well, it's just it's just like a little inside baseball. Like We know emissions are always going to get more stringent. Um, in the motorcycle industry, that's very much like a, a driving force, of like a piston of, of change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about it a little bit more, but like knowing the car world, and I was like, I don't know what homologation my car is. No clue. No, I just know I pass the smog every time I go. Yeah. When I go to the DQ, I don't want to get any guff. Yeah. You know, and so like, like, and at the end of the day, like, do I care? Like how much horsepower did it make? How much towing can I do? How fast, how much miles per gallon? All right, cool. Yeah. What does it cost to change the oil? In this I don't, thing? I don't care that. if like some regulation came along and like forces it to be <laughs> 25 miles to the gallon or if it just is 25 miles. Right. It's just like. I don't care. It doesn't apply to me. It's it 25 miles of the gallons. Okay, cool. A lot of work goes into getting any product that you get as an end user. And there's a lot of regulation involved. Uh, but it is interesting to see um, what that means on the manufacturing side because it is very real and, and changes things. And um, yeah, so those are those are two interviews to keep an eye out for. They'll probably be before the end of the year. And um, those should be real good. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff for sure. I think that's it, sir. Is that all you got, got? I think we got through like three weeks of stuff. Nice. Over two shows. You did well. We did okay. We're all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a safe place. Yeah, it's a safe place. We're, we're welcoming and accepting. Yeah. Unless you ride a scooter, in which case you get the fuck out. Unless it's a cooter. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> really? I thought we were over it. <laughs> Never. Ooh, nuts. All right, sir. And with that. I say good talk, and I will see you out there. See you next time. Safety third. This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Does it light up the mic when I talk, when I spit out the rhymes, and I don't rhyme anything because I just talk like this? Oh, it's like Eminem. Nobody rhymes. Doesn't really, though.
Brad I mean, he Bird rhymes like words with the same word a lot. But the, I mean, he's a mediocre rapper. Best. Yeah. <laughs> I spit out the rhymes when I tell you about my rhymes, and then I do things when I rhyme. I go outside, All waste the- my time. Oh! Oh! <laughs> 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 